they have no idea who I am already. Exactly. Perfect. I love it. So All right. We're going to start from there. We're going we're gonna to start with, you know, sort of. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get started. All right. We're going to record, man. <laughs> we're going to jump into it like we usually do. I'm going to welcome wow. you to another uh, episode of the Bladeology podcast. We're here this week with the usual suspects, and uh, we have a special guest, uh, Rob Carter, on with us this week, and we're gonna we're gonna talk to him, and uh, we're gonna get his backstory, and uh, all the all the gory details that everyone's been been clamoring to to hear. Uh, I'm Jeremiah Burbank with uh, PVK Vegas. Nick Chuperin of NCC Knives. I'm a uh, Hamish Malays of Isham Blade Works. I'm Robert Carter of Robert Carter Knives. Awesome. All right, so let's do this. Rob, uh, start us off. Where where where'd you come from? How how'd you get into this this mess of this knife making? All right. Well, um, I started out at a pretty young age. Uh, my dad built a small shop behind our house, and uh, he had always been a knife maker as well. Uh, he learned from his grandfather, Melvin Pardue, in Alabama, and then took a job in a construction company and actually moved to Texas, and that's where he met my mother. So I am a stepkid to Joe Pardue, which is Joe Pardue the knife maker, and his dad is Melvin Pardue. And that answers the question why everyone always asks why his last name is not Pardue. Yeah, so my last mm-hmm. name is Carter because I'm a, I'm a stepkid. I gotcha. So All right. Yeah, but, so, but still from lineage, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, you know, I, I had some of the greatest teachers on the planet to teach me how to make knives. Yeah. And I went to, I want to say it was July 11th through the 15th of 2006 or something like that. I saw it on my uh, Facebook page uh, in my memories. And I went to Melvin's shop in Alabama and I learned from him how to make how to make a folder. You know, what makes them tick and all that good stuff. But it started much earlier than that. Uh, Whenever I was six to seven years old, I started working in the shop with my dad, Joe Pardue. uh, Cutting out blanks and drilling holes and, you know, just doing the grunt work, cleaning up, cutting out blades and uh, helping them heat treat stuff. And I was the hammer uh, or the forge, so to say, uh, whenever we were forging stuff. The, the press, I used to hammer everything out because, uh, you know, my dad's old. <laughs> so, he, he would, yeah, he was lazy. So he would that, take that, me, you know, 8, 10, 12 years old, all the way up until I was old enough to drive. I was the hammer. Mm-hmm. And he would pull the billet out of the forge and put it on the anvil, and he'd tell me to start smacking it. And I would just have to hit in the same spot over and over and over. And let him move the billet back and forth. Rob was Joe's power hammer. Yeah, I was the power. I was the the small power hammer. Yeah, that seems like some tough, heavy work. Yeah, that's probably where uh, where the guns came from. I don't know. I was just about to say that. Yeah, swinging that hammer all day long. (laughs) I did that a lot all summer long, all winter long, because my dad he took on a whole bunch of orders from Ag Russell at one point in time. And he was making nine and a half folders a week. Oh wow! These wow. were these That's were high end gentlemen's folders. And yeah, he had it down to a science. Like he could he could literally wake up five six o'clock in the morning, and I'd be out there with him. We'd 
cutting out liners, drilling holes, profiling everything, getting all of his blanks and everything profiled for him. And then uh, he would just take off and start grinding and heat treating and doing everything that he Next thing you know, he's a knife and a half per day. So he had like a standing order with A.G. Russell. Yes, yes. He had a whole bunch of orders wow. that came in whenever he was featured in the A.G. Russell catalog. That's crazy. And he had one knife in particular that he probably made, I don't know, 3,000 or 4,000 of that knife. Damn. Wow. Full Over custom. A couple. Oh, yeah. Full custom. Yeah. Over a Full couple handmade. of years. Yep. Wow. All uh, carbon Damascus and, you know, Damascus bolsters, pearl, mammoth ivory, mammoth tooth, all fancy stuff. So you've, Rob, so you've been, you've been at this pretty much since day one, essentially. Like, you, you've been in and around the, the knife-making process for pretty much as long as you can remember. Yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely been a wild ride, but uh, <clears throat> I got old enough to drive... And I didn't come back to knife making until I was in my late 20s. Because I got old enough to drive. Of course, you know, we're all teenagers and stuff. We all chase the women and find girlfriends and go places or whatever. But uh, 18 years old, I started working offshore. Did that for a while. Became a captain and uh, was an engineer for a little bit. Became a captain. Was a captain for 14 years until, well, in, until the industry uh, kind of bottomed out, and I had to come. You know, I was already back into knife making, but it was not a not a full time thing. You know, it was just kind of as a hobby maker. Hmm. But whenever my job started tanking and I couldn't couldn't kind of you know i couldn't afford to go travel back and forth to work and then the the job itself they could not afford groceries for the crew members uh per week like we would go grocery shopping for the vessel and the grocery store that we would show up to would decline us right off the bat as soon as we would tell them what company we work for they would tell us oh you know you can't you can't shop here. Your company has like a $300,000 outstanding bill that they need to pay before you can shop here. So they wouldn't even let you guys buy groceries? Just like no. personal stuff? Nope. Well, yeah, they would let us buy groceries, but, okay. you know, I'm, Just, I'm at work. I'm not yeah. about to pull out my credit card and spend, you know, 1500 bucks for groceries for the boat. Especially if they can't afford it, I know I'm not going to get reimbursed. Right, that's yeah, that's so, true. Yeah, once that started happening, then yeah, I started making all the necessary moves and uh, getting getting my company uh, started and, and everything and, and getting it officially started. And then I made the move to full-time knife maker. So you were out at 18, you did the ship captain for, for a bit, and then what year were you back into to knife making full swing? I'm going to say 2006, 2007. Okay. Wow. So you just, you just jumped right back in. Um, how, how was the transition? It wasn't too bad. Um, I, I bought a grinder, bought all the necessary equipment over a couple of, uh, hitches back and forth from work. Cause that stuff's expensive. Well, you didn't say, so he wasn't full time. He was still working on the boat. Yeah. I was still working on the boat. And as I was still working on, you know, offshore on the vessels, I was, I was purchasing equipment. Okay. All right. 
So whenever I finally made the transition, it wasn't a huge step. It was just instead of going to work for two weeks, three weeks, or five weeks at a time, I would just get up and go out in the shop and make stuff. Okay. It was essentially because I, when I met him, he was still working the cruise ship. I mean, the, the not cruise ship. He was still still running the vessel, so he would essentially be gone off offshore for two or three, four weeks at a time. But then he'd have a two weeks back at the house. Hmm. And during that time, he'd work. Like I remember the first time I went over there, he used to make my ass wake up at five in the morning because that's what he was used to those hours. Yeah, my ass wasn't. <laughs> Next time I come by, he was already full time, and he's waking up at noon in my hours. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm I'm like ready. I was like prepping the week before. I'm like, okay, I gotta fly down. I gotta start going to bed. I'm waking up at five. I'm just gonna prep. <laughs> oh, I pull up. Man. He's like, I'm like, when are we waking up? He's like, oh, like one, twelve. I'm like, the fuck. <laughs> yeah, at one point in time, whenever I, I was time limited at the house. I would wake up at four o'clock in the morning every morning, and that was there was no way around it. I just woke up at four o'clock in the morning, and that's yeah. And I worked from mm. four o'clock in the morning until four o'clock, five o'clock in the afternoon, and that, and that was it. Then I would go to bed at eight o'clock. Yeah, and the people who are familiar with South Texas, Robert's area, when you wake up at four o'clock in the morning, everything is covered in a quarter-inch layer of dew, like everything. Yes, everything is wet and moist. Yeah. You got, you got, you got, like when I was there, I would essentially leave the shop in the morning, four o'clock, sweatpants, a sweater, some thick socks, and then have to go back in the house at 10 and switch into thin socks, different shoes, shorts, yes. t shirt. Sun comes up, burns it all off. Yeah. Yeah. The Texas weather is very erratic. Well, where you are in the South. Yeah. It's some mornings it's below freezing, say 25 degrees. Hmm. Three, uh, three o'clock in the afternoon, it might be 70. Wow. I mean, those kind of wild, you know, 50 degree temperature swing is not uncommon in Texas where I'm at. So completely erratic, unpredictable, just back and forth. Wait five minutes and the weather will change. Yeah, pretty much. I'm used to it by now, though. So nothing, nothing really surprises me. You know, if it's if it snows in July, I'll get I'll, I'll get pretty excited and surprised. But other than that, no. Yeah, well, you're also jumping ahead a little bit. You're talking now about 2007, 2008. This is just before where we met, but you got to backtrack a little bit more. You talk about working with your father. There's yes. a lot of stories of you working with your grandfather, making Damascus, and that's where this, that's where all the new stuff where you where right. you're forging well, your materials. We got now. we got sidetracked a little bit, yeah, but all right, let's get timeline. let's get back on it. All right, uh, 2000. I want to say 2011, somewhere somewhere in there. I went back to my grandfather's house in alabama and i stayed a weekend over there another weekend and we made a bunch of carbon damascus and i just hung out with my granddad and you know till uh we would get up at four or five o'clock in the morning and we wouldn't go inside until uh midnight because you know how old people are they don't sleep or at least he don't no, sleep. No, that's not old people. That's just Mel. <laughs> he doesn't sleep. Mel's one of the most badass 70-year-old dudes I've yes. ever met. He's, he's in his like late, late 70s, but in the 70s. Yeah. I remember uh, just before I went over there, Melvin called me, and he's like, you'll never guess what I did. So, of course, I asked him, well, what did you do? He said, well, I had to get a burr off of a fixed blade I was making, but it was almost finished. And as he was getting this, he was putting a chamfer on this hole that was in it for the uh, for the handle. And whenever he did, the chamfer caught and it helicoptered the blade. And this Holy blade shit. had a this blade had an edge on it, 
he wasn't able to jerk his hand fast enough back, and it cut the end of his pinky finger off. Oh man! Yeah, like it it cut it completely off, and it it was rolling around on the ground. Oof. So he picked it up. He tells me that he picked it up, and he rinsed it off in his dip bucket. His grinder bucket. His grinder bucket. That's clean. And, uh, yeah. And then took it to the bathroom and washed it off a little bit more and washed his finger off. Coated it with super glue and stuck it back on. I mean, that's logical. That's how you get things no, to stick. You use super it, glue. I mean, it's, that's not logical at all. No, but he's, he's not, he's not but talking about the most important, funniest part of that that's, story. That's just Melvin, though. No, so you, so you, you missed the most important part of the story. So Melvin goes, he's like, when I super glue it back on, super glue heats up super hot while curing. So it, while it's yes. curing, it heated up so hot, he passed out from the pain. And when he came to, it was just attached. Yep. Then he went to the doctor across the street, which he should have done in the beginning because he was only across the street. Yeah. And the doctor said, well, the hospital wouldn't do any better. Here's some antibiotics. <laughs> so then yeah. when, when I see Melvin, he tells me the full story and the, the parts where Robert misses out. And then he shows me his finger. And like you could tell it's like it's like a couple degrees off. It's like yeah. the, the knuckle doesn't line up perfectly. Yeah, like but it worked. It, does it, it work? He, yes, he it's, got... it's on. Well, well he, he, he did it, the it, right it, thing. The, the finger doesn't about? bend past the knuckle. It just ah, whatever. There. But he goes like a year ago. He started gaining feeling. This has been like ten years. He's like a year ago. It's, I start to feel like things if, you, if I poke yeah. it. Yeah, and the way he says it too. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel things. Yeah, he says it like it's I like yeah, it's no big deal. Yeah, I feel <laughs> things. He's touching the end of his finger. Yeah, sometimes I feel things. Like, all right, oh, well. but that's not what I meant. So I meant like so, back the day when you were working with Mel, like when you were making the, like the Mocha Man, all that stuff back in the day when you were younger. Yeah, that was that was as a teenager, like yeah, 13, 13, 14 years old. Um, we used to travel over there from December, mid December, like the fifteenth, fourteenth or fifteenth, whatever weekend was around there. We would take off the entire family, uh, me, my sister, my mom, my dad. We would take off and travel over to Melvin's house, and we would stay there for a couple of weeks. Hmm. And the entire time I was there, I was the hammer. Like We would forge material all day and all night, and that's all I did for two weeks was hammer now, hammer out material. Now, I know Melvin has like a 100-ton yes. press and shit. Like When did he get all that stuff? Or he just had it. He just wanted you to hammer shit. No, no. Melvin, Melvin used to teach. Hill and another college. He actually uh, taught a class for twenty something years on class? how no, no, no he's an engineer on, on how to oh. build on how to build a folding knife okay. in Alabama. And then I want to say he went to Portland, Oregon, and taught taught there. And he lived there for a couple of months out of the year and taught a class. Like a bunch of people from Portland, Oregon, would come in and and pay for the class or whatever, and he would teach them. And after a couple of weeks, everyone that would join the class would leave with a finished folding knife. Now, hmm. this is the during or prior to working at Benchmade? Uh, this is during. Okay. Yeah, this is very, yeah, it was, it was during. And, yeah, he taught Tannehill in Alabama and several different colleges in Alabama and also Portland, Oregon. He came over to uh, Texarkana and taught over there for a bit. And yeah, for twenty something years consistently, he taught he taught a class on how to build folding knives. So at, at this point, I want to I want to just clarify for everybody that if if you're not at all familiar with the name Mel Pardue, uh, you probably you probably aren't paying enough attention. But history in this industry, 
lasts a very short amount of time. But but Mel Pardew holds. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Rob, t- tell us about the patents and and where we can find his name because I know we can. You can find it all over Benchmade product, which we'll get into later. But I I certainly remember around 2010 when I started getting to this full time with my brother. I remember seeing his name and his face like on self branded autos that we used to carry. Yes. Uh, yes. Way back, and that, I think that was probably just about maybe 2010 to 2013 might have been the end of that phase. But I mean, the name Mel Pardue holds a huge gravitas in the community because of the things he's done. Oh yeah, absolutely. He uh, he developed several different types of cool spring automatics and several different types of leaf, uh, leaf spring mechanisms, like the rocker bar automatic, the single piece mechanism. Uh, a lot of times, like it's not it's not something that a lot of people can do, but whenever they do do it they'll have a press fit dowel pin in their mechanism which is it goes into uh, horizontal in the, yeah the, yeah the it's, lever. it's it's a lever and as you push on one end you know of course the other end picks up because it's on a it's on a pivot right well a lot of people use a dowel pin well melvin developed a process to use a solid piece and he actually was able to patent that hmm so that plus uh, several other mechanisms for uh, leaf spring automatics. And then, out of nowhere, he came up with this assisted opening mechanism. And he also got the patent on that, which is now owned by my dad. And is currently used by Ontario Knife Company. All their assisted assisted. Uh, openers have that mechanism in them. I believe in the, the Utilitac line. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, that was Joe's line. Remember? Yes, the Utilitac line, and it's also uh, I want to say that they've made them in their uh, their rat line. And uh, there's no assisted rats, from what I remember. Oh yeah, there are. They're just at my house. Oh well, mm-hmm. yeah, like it was like a production. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm not sure if they opened it up for full production, yeah. but yeah, I, I have a couple of them. They're nice. <laughs> also That's... have. Some other prototypes that no one else knows about yeah, that are some of those. But like assisted for example, opening. A lot of these, a lot of these, the listeners probably have a Benchmade Griptilian in their pocket. Right. If you, if you look closely on their, Mel's name is on the Griptilian. He designed all those Griptilians. Yes. All the variations of that, like that, that's Benchmade's flagship knife. That's that's one of the filthy casual flagship knives along alongside the paramilitary. That's been the best yeah. selling, the best selling Benchmade knife for twenty years running. I I would honestly say that overall. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think, anywhere. to my knowledge, that's the best-selling manual knife of all time, probably. When I first yeah, started getting one. into knives, the two names was Warren Osborne and Mel Pardue. Well, Ken Onion was like kind of there, but yeah. From yeah. Benchmade side, yep. Yeah, Mel Pardue. Mel had his hand in Benchmade, and a lot of the, not now, but a lot of the old Ontarios, when I first started, you would see Joe's name on a lot of the old Ontarios. Pretty much mm-hmm. any folder from Ontario that wasn't a rat had Joe's yeah, name when I Joe first Parker's started in 09. Sure did. He had some really nice designs. I think uh, Ontario needs to step up their their marketing a little bit, but they're a great company and they make a they make a great product. No complaints. I uh, I have several of my models are in production with Ontario. And, That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're very good people. I have zero complaints with them. No. Before we get into 2009, where we met, is there anything else you're missing in the knife industry? Because I know Elijah wants to talk about aliens for a little bit. Well, yeah, <laughs> that might come aliens. A little bit later. <laughs> aliens. Yeah, it, that might come a little bit later. It goes on the boat that cart. Um, get into the uh, the backstories and the. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I can I can touch on the alien thing right quick if you want. I told mention the story with sure, the spheres well. that's been that's been in the media locally lately about the spherical object that you saw has pretty much been in the media lately. I had to right, step look, away for a second. You didn't talk about your uh, your captain days yet, have you? No, not we, not we yet. We briefed it. We briefed it. Okay. Yeah. We we briefed it. It's, we got to get into that. It's not super important or exciting, but yeah, we can oh, talk it's about it. Exciting. <laughs> we could do a whole podcast on just the stories. Oh my god, we could. <laughs> We could, but uh, yeah, I'll tell you tell you a quick story. It was slick, calm, beautiful, clear night. I had just come out of Freshwater Bayou, uh, or Freshwater Channel, which is not much of a channel, and we got out to the sea buoy, and I set my coordinates, plotted everything out on my chart, set my coordinates, and. I got in the chair and I'm steering the vessel. You know, we had a, a nice cross current going, so I was looking for something on the horizon. And I might add that this is at midnight or just after midnight. I was looking for a platform or a rig or a star. I was looking for something out on the horizon to point mm -hmm. at that was several, either right on my course line or maybe a degree or two off of my course line because I had 180 something miles to go. And we were headed at 182 degrees, which is two degrees off of due south. So you were trying to use something to navigate off of. Yeah, yeah. So I was okay. looking for a landmark to navigate off of. Well, I just so happened to look up in the sky. And I seen what I thought was a just a star. It was kind of big, but, you know, I didn't pay it no attention. It wasn't that much larger than the rest of the stars that were around it. So I'm, I'm just going... You know, traveling on, and I pass up some platforms. Me and my uh, deckhand engineer that was up hanging in the wheelhouse with me were, you know, just talking and bullshitting, doing our normal thing. And I look up, and I'm off course, like 40 degrees, but I'm still following the same star. Because, I mean, it, it had gotten a little bit larger, but it still wasn't a thing of concern. I was just following that, that course. Hmm. And where I was, I had to navigate around a shoal, which is a pretty shallow spot. And our draft was running about 11 feet. So I had to pay attention and be on top of where I was. So I quickly jumped up, got my position, and checked, uh, checked on the chart where I was to make sure I wasn't going to run aground. Everything looked good. I wasn't that far off, but I was off course by 40-something degrees. So I... Steered the vessel back back on course, and uh, I was watching this star. I was wondering why in the hell it had moved so much so so quickly. Well, it started getting a little bigger and a little bigger, but it stayed right where it was in the window for a bit. And I would say it, it gained, it, you know, from where I was sitting, it was at the very top of the window in the wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. And it had grown to the, about the size of a dime in the window. Hmm. And then it started to come back to uh, my course line, like it was over in, over on the east side of me, and it started to travel back west. So as it's traveling east, it's coming back to south, and then it traveled past south and started going to west a little bit and stopped. So everyone gets on the radio and like, man, do y'all see this big ass thing in the sky over here, over Vermilion area? And a couple of guys get on the radio and there's like, ah, uh, I see it, but I'm not gonna say I see it. You know, you know, 
bunch of old coonasses and rednecks bullshitting about it, thinking it's you know <laughs> yeah. some airplane or a helicopter. But it was but clearly not this, a star. Whatever right? this thing was, is it had been lingering on for a few hours, and mm-hmm. I had been following it for like twenty something miles. Shit. So it stopped, and whenever it stopped, it shot across the sky. It was just a flash oh. went across the sky. Wow. I don't I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was a shooting star or maybe. It was something high up in the atmosphere, and the sun was still hitting it. You know, I mean, it could have been anything, or it could have been a UFO. I, I have no idea. Could have been aliens. Probably a weather well, balloon. Yeah, I mean, most people would say oh, it was a weather balloon. <laughs> Certainly not a shooting star, because shooting stars could have been. Don't stop. I don't know what it was, man. Yeah. It it it. I'll put it to you this way: it was so different and out of the norm that my deckhand was kind of having some anxiety problems. Wow. Yeah, it's a pretty unnerving sight. Yeah, yeah I've I mean, seen something was, like that, yeah. It was, it was definitely unnerving, and it was, it was nerve-wracking because my mind was running every scenario I could possibly come up with to, to write it off, to, you know, to not yeah. accept what it could be. You try to immediately rationalize what you're yes, saying. Yes, I was rationalizing mm-hmm. and, and just... I, I had I had basically just wrote it off. Oh, that's a shooting star, whatever. And I started looking back on the horizon. I I quit watching it, and then all of a sudden, I look up and it stops. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's. So how that's far up. offshore were you? I was maybe twenty two, twenty four. <laughs> quit, Nick. <laughs> Fucking dick. Cut it out. <laughs> Cut it out. Cut it out. I was I was twenty. Two twenty-four miles offshore. I mean, that's just, wow, that's pretty close, though. I mean, that's not it's not substantial. I, I've been out there. I've been several close. hundred miles offshore. Oh, like, okay, all right. Yeah. On a clear night, you can still see the dock and shit from you know, like the miles. the lights, the lights from the dock, the dock uh, on the horizon. You can still see all that. Huh. All right. So, also as a point of reference, you're well, not fishing out there. You're 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 working on on rigs. Uh, no, definitely not fishing. Um, what I did was I trans I transported personnel, uh, groceries, any type of uh, wireline or explosive equipment, demolition equipment, uh, all kinds of different chemicals and diesel fuel, like methanol, ethanol, corrosion inhibitor, JP5 jet fuel. If it was able to be carried offshore. I basically, yeah, that's what we transported. And I would bring that out to uh, the production platforms all over the Gulf of Mexico. Wow. So, I mean, you were, you were, on, you were on the vessel, what percentage of the time for those, those years you were doing it? You were out there, what, uh, full-time? Yes, full-time. And our, our hitches were, uh, most of the time was 35 and 7 is what I worked, like 35 days on and then 7 days off. Jesus. All right. Because well, that was God. yeah, that was towards towards the end that's what I was working because they had cut our payback so bad that I couldn't afford to work yeah. 14 and 14. Last time. Yeah. Well, that's, that's messed up. Yeah, we had like a 40% pay cut. Government so, I mean, stuff. When you're spending that much time in the water, I mean, I I know we've all had this conversation with you, but this is only one of the particular strange occasions you've had because you spent so much time on the water. You, you have a few of these stories, if, if I remember correctly. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I, I have several, 
several strange stories. Like uh, one night, I seen something come out of the water and shoot up into the sky. That was uh, that was a little weird. Could have been could have been a submarine doing a exercise or something. I have no idea. I'm pretty lasers. sure subs don't yeah come out of the water. Uh, well. But they, they might launched. have been shooting off. Yeah, yeah. They, they could have been launching them. Uh, you know, something. doing a test or something. I don't know what the hell that was. Huh. Something come running up out of the water and just shot up into the sky. Went straight up. There was no curve oh. to it. No, no radius. Like the, it just went straight up. I, I don't know what wow. it was. Man. And yeah, there was like maybe five witnesses on that. So mm-hmm. you might think I'm crazy, but five other people seen it. So when here's here's a here's a sideways one. So when you when you left the shop and you were eighteen, you're like, all right, I'm getting the hell out of here. I mean, was there was there something that drew you to to doing the this work? Like you were like, I don't want to be in the shop with my dad, whatever, making knives, whatever. Did you yeah. stumble upon this? Is this like a local like you know? It, no, a lot of people in the not, area do this, or did you mention before a, you wanted to join the air force, right? And yes, something with that. Yes. Wanted to join the Air Force, but I had a really horrible recruiter. Mm. And we couldn't see eye to eye, so I told him to basically, you know, go fuck himself. But uh, I would have loved to have gone. It's kind of what I wanted to do, but yeah, that, that fell through. Yeah. But getting, getting back to the offshore thing, I did not want to follow my dad's footsteps. Because mm. I knew that... Being Mel Pardue and Joe Pardue's son and grandson, I would forever be in their shadow. Because right. at that point in time, they were super mega superstars in the knife making world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just did not. It. I did not want to follow in their footsteps because I knew not only would I be in their shadow, but I just I was I was a rebellious kid. And I sure. just did not want to do what my dad did, and I didn't want to do what my grandfather did. Although I love doing that stuff, I just wanted to find my own way. Right. And I had an mm-hmm. uncle, uh, my uncle Terry, which is my mother's brother. He was a offshore captain as well, but he ran survey vessels and stuff in Guam and Saipan, Hawaii. And he he worked over there for a long time. And then whenever he came back, uh, which was right around the time I was about 18 years old, he was looking for a job working offshore in the Gulf of Mexico. And I figured, what the hell, you know, I'll see if I can't find a job, too, because I was only making about eight hundred dollars a month at the job that I was at. So sort of a nothing to lose scenario. Why the hell not? Yeah. Yeah, why the well hell not? We'll try let's, it, right? let's go. You know, my fucking Air Force thing fell through. Nothing else was working out. The job that I was at was dead end. There was no chance of uh, a promotion there. So yeah, I mean, it was a it was a a win win situation for me to go try. Mm-hmm. So I did, and actually found out that I was pretty good at tracing pipes and doing a lot of other stuff that you do as uh, as an engineer on a vessel. I mean that's so, that's a far yeah. that's a far out way to to go from one end of the spectrum to something completely like offshore has nothing to do with knife making as far as I can tell and then to then back into knife making 
to eventually follow somewhat, I mean, follow that path that you were sort of trying to get away from. Yeah, it is, but I'm a weird guy, so, you know, it fits. <laughs> I mean, that's true. No, that's true. You did like the vessel, though, right? You liked going out there, and or was oh, it just... Oh, yeah. At the end, yeah. I didn't, but yes, all the way up until about 2010 or so, 2012. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I loved what I did, and I was good at it. Not only was I good at it, but I, I also took a lot of pride in my ability to operate a vessel. Yeah. Say, like, the vessel that I was, I was running, you know, it was 205 foot long. Mm -hmm. Or 180 foot long, or even a smaller vessel was 135, like a mini supply. Mm -hmm. And I, I could run any of them. And also, uh, I, f I figured out that I was really good at manipulating the vessel in heavy seas, like mm -hmm. 20 foot seas, 30 foot seas, or high winds, or whatever it might be. Whatever the challenge was for that day, I took it head on and basically kicked its fucking ass. And I made that shit look good. Because that's what I did. Is is there a name for the vessel? I'm trying to I'm trying to put in my I'm mind. Sure you're saying right? A hundred yeah, a hundred foot vessel. Like I'm thinking like the only thing I can think of is like a Boston whaler or, or like a trawler. Like I know what that looks no. like. No, no, like, the uh, the vessels I was this? running. They're pretty big. You could you could probably put say like the deadliest catch boats. Those boats are like a hundred foot long. Okay. So you could probably, like the vessel, uh, the Gulf Hope that I was running in the Gulf Angel that I was running whenever uh, I finally retired, you could have put the the deadliest catch vessels, you could have put them on the back deck of the boat I was running. Oh shit, so these are big ass, these are large. Yeah, there was six engines, you know, K60 main engines, you know, just... Yeah, they were they were big, they were fast, they were light. Uh, I was running a uh, crew utility vessel, is what they called it. Okay. So this vessel had on the on the main deck, this vessel would have a hundred or a hundred and fifty or hundred and sixty seats, and mm -hmm. we would come to the dock, and there would be an entire crew change for a a jack up rig or a drilling rig or whatever it might be. There would be an entire crew change waiting on us there, mm -hmm. so we would pick up a hundred and fifty people, and we might have to go you know we might have to make a, a thousand mile trip offshore okay and drop off and pick up people for a, a solid two or three weeks that's and that's yeah that's what it did and wow. they would load us up with groceries and whatever the rig that we needed to go to whatever whatever they needed they loaded it on us and we would take it offshore hmm. along Before with we, the personnel yeah before we move on a little bit, you want to throw in some more stories, maybe about the, uh, maybe some helicopter stuff and some uh, molten aluminum. <laughs> yeah, I could definitely do that. Um, yeah, I'm sure people will be interested. Yeah, the molten aluminum is uh, is a is a pretty good one. Uh, we had just sat down to eat. It was noon. Everyone was up. I actually had my brother in law was working with me, and we uh, we had just sat down to eat. We had this uh, coon ass named Lionel, which this guy Louisiana. was Louisiana. So if you're not familiar, yeah. that's for yeah. Well, he from was Louisiana. so full of shit, but he was a good worker, <laughs> good dude. He just, you know, he was just full of shit. So we had all sat down, and, and Lionel had cooked us a big coon ass meal, you know, big Cajun dinner. 
So we're all sitting there and we're eating and stuff, and all of a sudden the generator starts bogging down down in the engine room. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't really know what's going on, but I can hear that it's it's struggling. Something's going really bad wrong somewhere. So I open up the engine room door, and right there, as you go down the stairs, right above the stairs where the stacks go uh, for the main engines, the exhaust goes right up those right up the stairs right there. So over the course of, you know, 20 years, because the vessel was a, you know, 20-year-old vessel, mm-hmm. over the course of the, that time, it had never been reworked or rewired. So all that heat being right there for all those years eventually broke down the, the protective, the protective uh, plastic or whatever kind of like stuff. Like a heat shield. Yeah, the, the heat shield. But I can't remember. They called it a certain thing. But it had broke it down and wore it down. And finally... Uh, that stuff had started to actually come off of the wires. And whenever uh-huh. it did, you know, hot and the ground touch each other, you're going to have problems. Yeah. So, yeah, some arcs and sparks happened. And I opened up the door, and it was just completely, like, there was green and blue flames shooting everywhere. It was crazy. <laughs> it was chaos. Uh-huh. So I took the uh, fire extinguisher we had, and, and I'm yelling, fire, 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 kill the generator and i'm fucking yelling at everybody and i'm I'm hitting the fire trying to trying to exhaust the flames and it's not doing nothing of course you know it's a it's an electrical fire it's yeah uh fire extinguisher is not gonna help you real hot yeah yeah so i tell my brother-in-law hey go 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 run 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 and i'm telling him you know run down the stairs go kill the generator and i'm sitting there and i'm blasting the blasting the flames and shit well some of that melted, and whenever it did, it, it went down onto the deck plates, and yeah, it, it melted a hole through the deck plates, and that caught a fire in the bilge, which I, we was able to put out, but that was, it was pretty bad. It's like a 70-foot-long hallway, uh-huh. and it's just a hallway, and underneath that hallway is all your bilge material. Like, whenever you change your fuel filters, you have diesel that leaks into the bilge. Whenever your motors are running, the main engines are running... All the oil leaks and all that, that all goes into the bilge. Oh, man. And yeah, then all your... Waiting to catch on fire. Yeah, yeah, and all your stuffing boxes and stuff, you know, they're all leaking. All that goes into the bilge. And we have to come to the dock and get that stuff pumped off every couple of weeks. Well, we just so happened to not go get it pumped off. Oh, man. And, yeah, whenever that, that aluminum melted and was flaming and dropped down on that oil and... uh diesel fuel in the bilge it caught fire so there we were picking up deck plates and trying to push the fire all the way to the back of the hallway because it had already gotten about halfway down so i was fighting it trying to push it trying to skim it off the top and push it back to the end of the hallway that way it would you know put itself out it wouldn't have any more room well we ran out of fire extinguishers and so i got a bottle of dawn dish soap and a water hose and started trying to put a layer of suds on the top of the oil and the, the diesel fuel. And that actually worked. Mm. Like uh, your your firefighting foam or chemical foam that we'd have on the vessel. Mm. Well, we had some, but it was upstairs. And, you know, it was going to be... Go. A, yeah, it was a little going to... It was going to be a little bit late if I would have had to stop doing what I was doing and stop fighting the fire that I was fighting run up there and go get that, set up the nozzle, set up all, you know, do all the setup and shit, it would have been too late. We would have completely lost control of this fire wow. and lost the vessel. 
Hmm. I mean, there was no way around it. I had to stay down there. I had to come up with something quick. So I, I found a full bottle of big, a large bottle of Dawn dish soap. Water hose, and what I did is I basically just took the water hose and was leaking the, the Dawn dish soap into the stream, was spraying that on the wall right next to where the fire was, and it put a layer of suds over the oil and the fuel, and that put the fire out. Saved the fucking day. Wow. Hmm. Nicely done. Thanks to Dawn dish soap. Well, I've, I've had a lot of training. Lidology sponsored by Don there so. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> yeah. So I mean that's if that's a pretty that that's a pretty nerve wracking experience. I mean, I don't think uh quite anything in knife making comes down to the uh comes down to that. I mean that's that's uh I've yeah. I've had extensive firefighting training though, inside of a vessel, inside of a bilge, mm-hmm. on the back deck, chemical fires. Uh, I've had pretty extensive training doing that. You know, CPR, firefighting uh, Hewitt training, which is uh, being stuck in a, a helicopter underneath the water, being rolled over in a helicopter. Happens all the time. Yeah, I've had extensive tr- time in the water, being flipped upside down multiple times and then having to get out of a fake fuselage of, of a chopper. And then I've hmm. had to do it in real life a few times as well. Yeah, speaking about that, maybe we could touch on one of those stories and then we could start moving on to all right, yeah. nice um, stuff. I was working for, oh man, I think it was Chevron at the time. This was right after Hurricane Katrina. And we were crew changing by helicopter. The vessel that I was running uh, was on station at the platform. And they were babysitting a platform, making sure it didn't fall over during the middle of the night. Like we were doing Mm -hmm. a, every six hours we would have to call this phone number. We had a special uh, satellite phone on the boat. We'd have to call this phone number and let them know that the platform was still standing. And mm. that, was, that was the job that we were doing. Well, that boat could not leave that station. So they were crew changing us by chopper, which I think it was a PHI chopper. We, I got on the chopper in Abbeville, Louisiana, and we took off. And the company guy... And several other company guys wanted us to land at a certain location to drop off some people and then pick up some people. No problem. Just standard routine routine stuff, you know. It's a crew change. So the chopper would fill up with people in bags and they would weigh everybody and make sure you wasn't overweight or anything. And they'd send you out. And that's that was normal, everyday routine stuff. Well, we get out to this certain location. I think it was like Ship Show 169 Charlie. And the guy that was the company man that was on the chopper with us told us to land there. But the chopper, like I had my headphones on so I could hear them talking in the in the front. Well, the, the chopper pilot said, hey, look, this platform hasn't been green lighted. It's not clear for me to, to land on it. So I can't land on it unless it's been inspected by so-and-so I, I don't remember exactly who he said but it something about the inspection hadn't been done to hmm. this helipad on top of this platform so the company guy gets kind of been out of shape about this and was telling the chopper pilot look you're gonna fucking land down there or you know i'm gonna have your job and blah 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 so the guy says, all right, let me take a, a closer look at it. Now, I'm going to make a round around the helipad real close, and I'll, I'll look at it. If it looks safe, we'll land. So 
he makes a little round around the, the helipad, and there was, uh, at the very edges of the helipad, there's chain-link fence. And these chain-link fences, I don't know, they're like five or six foot out off the, the ends, all the way around the helipad. Well, some of it had came up and was turned up and curled up a little bit there, close to where uh, the the portion, like, I don't know, the direction that we landed in, because the chopper pilot has to land with the fuselage pointing into the wind as he comes in and on approach and landing. That makes I don't, sense. Yeah, I, I don't know why. It's just something they do. That's just how planes land, too, into the yeah. wind. So he lands uh, He lands the, the helicopter there, and it's pointing right at the, the fence that's all fucked up on the end down there. So a few guys get out. We're waiting. We're sitting there waiting, and the guys that... We're supposed to come up, call up on the company radio and tell them, hey, look, the guys are going to stay. They're going to catch another chopper. So it's just me, one other guy in the back, and the pilot. So we, I get out, close the front door because the fucking dickhead company man left it open. Get out, close the front door, jump back in the chopper, close my door, and buckle up. And we go to take off, and the damn landing gear catches the chain link fence oh shit as he's taking off i guess he you know he just he came up a little bit and he tilted forward and then went to putting some power down i guess because he was pissed off and he was i don't know it, it felt like his it felt like his takeoff was a little aggressive to me and mm. i think it was because he was pissed off because the company man had made him land there and then we waited for 20 minutes while the chopper was running burn up a lot of his fuel mm. kind of like peeling could, out yeah, I could tell like the pilot was pretty pissed off, so he took off pretty aggressive, and I think he skimmed the skimmed the deck a little too close, and that's why that's why we caught the damn chain link fence and went <laughs> went tumbling to the water. And that was hmm. that was a little crazy. We I, uh, I don't now know. You we say just tumbling to the water. I mean, yeah, no, how'd no, you get just, there? It yeah, you caught gotta, the fence. <laughs> It caught the fence, and the chopper almost pointed directly up and down, like towards the like water. Vertical. Yeah, it was very vertical. Like, I was looking down, and it was the water. I was looking out the front, and it was the water that I was seeing. I didn't see, I didn't see any platforms. I didn't see any horizon. It was just straight, and boom. Like, I felt like this big jerk. Like, we, we let loose. I guess the fence mm -hmm. broke. Huh, and as wow. soon as that happened, like, he... he throttled up and he was trying to get out of it and we went into a spin but it was too late you were only like 80 feet off the water and we spun around a few times and i'm you know i put my hand up and i'm holding on we hit the fucking water and that was about it i mean it, it didn't get much more exciting after that you know it just uh yeah, it's pretty the, exciting i guess in and of itself jesus the inflatable things on the on the landing gear they popped open and and it was a slick, calm day. It was a beautiful day. Hmm. Beautiful day Good for day a helicopter crash. crash yeah. yeah, so we're just, you know, floating around out in the Gulf on a helicopter. And then the vessel that I was going to had to travel from uh, ship show 182 Charlie to 169 Charlie to come drag the chopper on, you know, like hook a damn line to it and drag it all the way to 182 Charlie. And a crane picked it up out of the water, set it on the back deck, and of course I, you know, I got off the got off the chopper then, and then I was I was crew changed. I was on the vessel, 
So I stayed on the vessel for two weeks after that. But I had to take, instead of staying in at the at that location and keeping an eye on that location, they had a crew boat come out and take our spot so we could go in to bring this fucking chopper in. Mm. It's, it was it was exciting for a minute, but you know, nobody peed through. Did you, did you run up and strangle the uh, the pilot, or or how does that work? Or do you just kind of uh, like brush it no, off? Do you I look just, at him in the face and go, "I'll kill you one day." No, I, <laughs> I brushed it off. I mean the. To me, it wasn't something that he was used to or could have helped because the helipad that we landed on was definitely damaged. It was not cleared for landing, right? He might, yeah, he might have gotten a little complacent, but we were alive and I was fine. I didn't get it. I didn't get injured. No casualties, uh, right? Yeah. yeah, no, no casualties. And the uh, the other guy in the back seat uh, with me was he was fine as well. A little shook up, but he was. Completely 100% all right. There was no injuries whatsoever on, on this crash. Hmm. That's the best way to have it. Yeah, I suppose. So yeah. if, if there was one thing, I mean, now that you're, you're no longer doing this and, and you're a knife maker, but, I mean, if there was one thing that you could take from doing all this offshore work and, and, and say that was my favorite thing and I would go back and do just that, what, what, what would that be? Um... I really can't say because that is I hated it so much towards the end there was no longer like my heart wasn't there anymore. There's nothing okay. that I would go back to right now. All There's right. nothing that comes to mind that I wouldn't go back to. So you wouldn't you wouldn't just go drive a vessel if they were just like, Hey look, just just pilot this vessel uh, and you would say, All right, that's that's fine. I like that the most. Yeah, I mean I, I could do that. Alright. All right. I could do that. All right. What, well, I, all right. Here's here's what I did like. I'll take that back. I did like delivering vessels. I like traveling the uh, the Mississippi. Like I went and picked up a tugboat uh, or a knee boat is what they call it. It's a push boat, small small vessel, a lot of horsepower. It was for pushing barges. And I went and I picked up a small vessel in somewhere in Illinois. I don't remember exactly where. They flew me and then bust me to this vessel. So I, I don't remember exactly where in the hell it was at. I do remember it was at DeHeiko Dock, and they were on Channel 7. I remember that part. There we go. Yeah, because they, uh, they got in my shit pretty hard whenever I wasn't on Channel 7. But I took that vessel, came all the way down, and delivered it to New Orleans. And, yeah, I, w I would say that was probably one of the most enjoyable trips that I had. I had... Uh, a co-captain that was a bit of a drinker, and uh, he was a really funny guy to be around. Like he was constantly cracking me up hmm. whenever you know after he'd get a few drinks in him. I didn't really know how to feel while I was sleeping. I didn't know if he was going to get too drunk or, you know, it was a little uneasy. But he he was fine. He had it under control. Just a couple of drinks here and there, and but I had a good time. A lot of nice scenery, a lot of vessels uh, passing in and out of uh, out of the river. So it wasn't bad at all. I enjoyed that. All right. Other that. than that, nothing. Uh, I'm never going back offshore. And I mean, I think that's that's important. Is that like sometimes you work such a shitty ass job that that pushes you to do the next thing in your life or your career or whatever it is, is you look back yes. at that and you go, I never want to do that again. And whatever the hell is the next thing, I'm going to do that to the best of my abilities so I don't yes. have to ever look back. Yep. 
Well, if I get tired of knife making, I can always come up with something else. There you go. All right. So, so offshoring, and then I mean, I gotta, I gotta jump into this. I don't know where the hell in the timeline this is, but uh, you forging. I know we can't get into some specifics about it, but did you jump into forging as soon as you got back? Is that like a recent thing? Uh, I'd say it's pretty recent. Yeah, that's a recent thing. Okay, I've that's, always, that's ahead I've in always the timeline. forged. Yeah. yeah, I've always forged. Mm-hmm. Even even as a a kid and a teenager, I've always forged. Damascus. That's that's a I definite. Think talk about the titanium Damascus. And well, no, Rob Damascus. Yeah, I mean, Rob yeah, the Rob Tatum and Rob Damascus. Yeah, that but is I mean, more so recent. You've always been forging, though. Yes, I've always had a a fascination with uh, forge welding. Mm. What materials can I forge weld, and why? Why does this guy say it can't be done? And then whenever they did say it couldn't be done, I went out and did it, and I made it fucking badass. Rob, if you could, uh, for me and the listeners, like explain yes. forge welding, because I kind of know what it is, but I still have never really uh, heard in depth you, of how. You heat, uh, diffusion bonding, uh, I guess, is easier way to explain it. Uh, you heat up, so you stack, clean up and stack up some contrasting alloys, like, let's say, mm-hmm. CPM-154 and AEBL. These are... Two different steels. One is a high chromium and has a small amount of manganese in it, or manganese, or however the hell you pronounce it. And the other one has more carbon and has more manganese, or manganese, or I don't know how you pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. Mayonnaise. Mayonnaise. Mayonnaise, Rednecks just call it mayonnaise. It's got got the mayonnaise smeared in it. So, ABL... Whenever you etch it in muriatic acid, turns dark. It turns black. CPM-154 has less manganese and less carbon and a higher vanadium and chromium content, which hinders its ability to etch. In so it stays pretty silver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It stays exactly like you finish it. You know, it, okay. it might have some rainbowing effect to it, but it, it stays shiny. It stays silver. Somehow you got to figure out how to weld those two materials together. Yeah, after some research and quite a quite a few failures, I finally figured out not and with Nick's help as well, um, figured out uh-huh. how to uh, develop a process in forging it that would yield the most material out of each forging. Hmm. Yeah, I just don't get it red hot and run it over with the truck, which would be heavy enough. And it's perfect welds. Yeah, right. That, that should work, but that's not the exactly. Rubber the tires and glue yeah, gaps together. That's, that's I knew there exactly. was a reason to have a dually. I swear to God, I knew there was a reason. That's yeah. the point. The I've got a, I've got a couple of duallys. Help the glue <laughs> seal together. Better Put get your better get your facts right, Mister. <laughs> but no, uh, so you take these two steels, CPM one fifty four high chromium steel, ABL not such a high chromium steel. Well, they contrast one another, so you stack them up, a one-two stack. So you have CPM-154 on the bottom, you put your ABL on top of that, and then you repeat that over and over for however many layers you want. It might be 10 layers, it might be 100 layers, whatever in the hell you want. You put that in your oven or in uh, in your forge, and you heat that up, and forge welding temperatures can range anywhere from 2,100 degrees to 2,350, depending on the steel. Mm. And some steels will not forge weld together 
for anything. It doesn't matter if you have a tight window of temperature or a loose window of temperature. It doesn't matter if you have the right amount of temperature or the right bond. amount of soak time. They yeah. just will not bond. Huh. But weird. Uh, diffusion bonding or forge welding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, basically, yeah, you heat it up to uh, to a forging or forge welding temperature, and these two steels start exchanging carbides and basically um, become one. Wow. Yeah. And then whenever you squish them together, they definitely become one. <laughs> Seals the deal. And yep, the more the more the you deal. fold, I guess the the more homogenous the the mixture gets, or something. Um, no, not really. Um, they just folding, folding get closer is, uh, together. That's kind of like an ancient Japan, you know, folklore thing. Those. I mean, the, you are the, folding it though to get that pattern, right? No, no, that's more of a carbon no. Damascus thing. That's uh, okay, yeah, so that, it's a it's a carbon Damascus thing. But folding, folding a billet is just adding the layers. As long as you're just folding it, yeah. you're just adding layers. You're not actually adding pattern. You oh, actually okay. have to upset those layers. That's where in those order to come in, right? Those, yes. Yeah. Yes, you. You. I have a. Uh, I have my own. Came up with my own design pattern for my stuff. Like I call one pattern uh, the nuts pattern and one pattern uh, seascape, which is basically some seashells and stuff. But wow. Huh. Uh, design my own pattern. Those pattern and I cut. I cut this pattern out with the end mill, on a CNC. That way. They they are interlocking, so you have a top and a bottom, but each top and bottom are offset from one another to where they interlock. Mm. Like if you were to take your fingers and and put them right next to each other, but all together. So mm-hmm. you get all of us by the end of this podcast. Yeah, well they they interlock like that, and that's how you upset the pattern in the billet. See, whenever you you're stamping the the pattern or or whenever you're forging it flat. That's all you're doing is forging it flat. There's no upset to those layers. It's all just one solid, yeah. Yeah, it's just one solid billet, and you just have straight layers going down the side of that billet. So you got to use that like that die that you've pre-made to smush. You take the die up uh, the top and bottom. You stick your uh, stick your billet in there. Once it's down to say like half an inch thick, you stick your billet in there, and you can press that pattern directly into the billet say three sixteenths on each side this is a little it's a little uh, aggressive but you have this whenever you upset that amount you have a really nice wave going down the down the edge of mm-hmm. your material and that's whenever you see whenever i post pictures of my material you'll see that it has a lot of activity in the layering like you'll see, it has some really hard curves and a lot of lines going, you know, all different directions. So Sanmai is is that just more complex or what? Yes, Sanmai is definitely a more complex because the uh, core is left alone. Well, you still want to upset the core if you want it to be pretty. Huh. You can have that straight line bullshit all you want. I I would rather have something that's. Not yeah, so. Yeah, looks like it's dripping controlled. down the sides. Yeah. Yeah, I want something that's out of control, especially if I have a handle that's going to be plain, or you know, it has to contrast. So the more out of control it is, the better. So hmm. a sand mai is basically you take two billets of Damascus that you've made, 
you stack it on top of just a regular piece of steel and you forge weld all three pieces together and your core material being a solid steel mm-hmm. yeah and three pieces of three pieces of material you have uh, Damascus clad on the outside solid core in the center and that's where you get San Mai. So and the and the idea there is that you that you what you have an actual uh the like idea there is treatable blade steel in the center. Yes. Yes. The idea there is uh comes from, from Japan, ancient Japan. Um you wanted to have a soft uh mild steel on the outside and then a extremely hardenable steel in the center. That way whenever you would strike an opponent or strike bamboo, whatever they were cutting. That way, whenever you would strike something, the blade would still bend and absorb the shock through the mild jackets that were on the outside of the uh, the center core. Mm. That way they could you know, abuse them a lot more, but still have a hardenable steel in the center. Right. Because as far as like actual... Damascus goes, uh, or like any forge welded steel, those are not actually perhaps the best implements for cutting when you combine two two different steels. Eh, probably not the best, but you know, it's you're gonna have two separate properties. With, yeah, two steels. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's moderate moderate knife making these days. So right, cosmetically, it's extremely attractive. Yes, cosmetics are extremely oh, yeah. attractive, and that's where it, that's where it counts. Does it look but pretty? I still, I still grind my blades thin enough and heat treat them right. Oh, they yeah. will cut if you know if you need to cut something. They will cut. So now, did so, you ever do any like uh, like high carbon like pattern welding um, that yeah. that was popular for a while, like with different yeah, like, I've, crazy I've made little... I've made mosaics several times. Okay, long time ago, I've made uh, like star like a star pattern where you would have. Uh, a nickel is like a, a can Damascus where you have stars in it. Star would be made out of nickel, and then you'd have 1095 powder filled in around that. And then I would make, I would make a big can like a log, and I'd cut the can off, and then I would slice all these up and at a 45 and fairy flip it, and then make it into a billet. You know, instead of having just the visual aspect of the star on the ends, or you cut cut your slices you know at 45 degrees you cut your slices and restack it and forge weld it into um on its end hmm. that way it's a billet and all those stars each slice is a visual a visible and visual star and yeah forge weld that back together and bam you've got a billet with That's star pattern out. i've made that a bunch of times just fucking around as a kid well so but, i guess the question is when are we gonna see you on forged and fire? <laughs> Never. Never. I don't. I don't forge out knives. I I forge material. Yeah. Which, you don't think you, you could hammer out like a pattern or something? You could. Yeah, I, sure. I could hammer out all kinds of shit. But that doesn't that doesn't mean anything. Gonna, it means you get you get that 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 quick ten grand in fame on the on the show. <laughs> They don't yeah, give you shit. They put I'm me, good. They offered me the show, and my worry was they're going to put me on the show, and they're going to give me a coal forge, and I've never used the coal forge. Nick, we talked about this. Like, you should just do it, man. <laughs> well, no, that's, that's how I missed the opportunity. That was season yeah. two they invited they, me uh, Season one, they contacted uh, me and my dad to be judges. Oh, oh man, that would have been cool. Wow. 
Yeah, but I was I was there with my dad, you know, say uh, in the same boat as my dad. Ah, eh, fuck it, you know, I don't yeah. really want to fuck with that because it's we're in Texas, we have our own thing going on, plenty of work to fucking do. There's no reason for me to fly out to uh, New York every week or whatever it was. Yeah, flying New York is dumb. Come New York four years sucks. later, yeah. he comes into mm-hmm. New York every yeah. twice a year. A couple years later, yeah, I'm, I'm here in New York working and stuff, but. Well, what about um? I I know you can't get into specifics, but what what about the Rob Tanium then? So you've been forging this whole time. When when did you really? Yeah, when did you start to to dip your toes into messing around with titanium? Well, funny thing about that, I won't mention any names, but I posted on Instagram a long time ago. Like I wanted to try, I wanted to try all kinds of different. Uh, different alloys i wanted to make new materials because at the time um alpha knife supply they make some beautiful stuff but at the time they were making the same patterns over and over and and i didn't exactly want i didn't want them you know i liked the way they look but i didn't really want that i wanted some structural pattern and i wanted the pattern to be on both sides and at the time i didn't even i knew chad nichols had, was starting to make Moku tie, but I had heard all these bad things about it. Like there was a bunch of bad welds, a bunch of bad material. So I didn't know, you know, because he had he had just started doing it. So I, I didn't know if it was safe to buy or not. And six hundred dollars for a big billet or for a not so big of a billet, there was a huge investment and a huge loss if, uh, say, like the the billet had bad welds or something in it. So I didn't want to go out. And spend the money because, like, I was still at work and things weren't looking good. So I didn't really want to spend the money. So I decided, well, I've got a bunch of scrap titanium laying here. And I just want to see if I can get it to weld together. Lo and behold, after a few failures, I figured out how to forge weld titanium. Mm. But I posted, I posted online, like... I'm going to try to forge weld some titanium and uh, copper. And I might, and I put down there at the bottom, because I was able to forge weld or diffusion bond, like Mokume, uh, 6.4 grade titanium to copper. I was Mm. able to do that. Only problem was it was such a weak bond that you couldn't bandsaw it. It had to be machined. Even, Even the stuff that Chad makes now is the same way. So I thought I had failed, but apparently Chad's stuff is the exact same as what I did fucking like five years ago. So I posted on Instagram, like, hey, I'm going to try forge weld uh, titanium and copper together. If this works, I might try might try to forge weld some different alloys of titanium together and make my own Timascus or titanium Damascus. So a few a few guys chimed in, you know, some well-known makers, and they were like, bro, you can't do it. There's no way you'll ever be able to do it, which kind of pissed me off. So I spent several thousand dollars trying to figure out how to do it, and I figured it out. And then he never did it again. <laughs> it, no, it, I, I've done yeah. it plenty since then. The Zircon? Hmm. Oh, no, titanium and titanium. Like oh, three I different you were alloys. about the Zircon Yes, I did. I was the first guy to uh, forge weld zerk and copper together. Okay, oh, come on. We we need to see some more of that. 
Well, it was such a felt. Well, I mean, you can see it now. Chad does it. He does? Yeah. The Q-Zerk. Q-Zerk. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, he hmm. does it now, but I was the first guy I guess guy that slipped it. past me. I didn't see that. He's the first. I was years ahead of everybody else. So when you, years, I was years ahead of Rad Knives, which I got to give the man respect. He can make some beautiful material, but mm. I was ahead of everybody. I was the first guy to do Zerk and Copper and tit- Titanium and Copper has been around since you know way back. Like that's so that, that's old, old. Yeah, like the Q Zerk stuff. That's technically Mokume. Yeah, it's technically okay. Mokume. Huh. So Mokume isn't the materials involved; it's the process. Yeah. Yes, the process. The process. It's, the Q Zerk yeah. isn't. It's not forge welded, as, as you would say, like the titanium, the mask. It's not a true weld. It's technically brazed. The co- you, mm. you just get the copper to the point to where it's half melted. Then you squeeze it together, and the copper just kind of sticks to the zerk. I always thought that Mokume had to be copper, nickel, and... Uh, no, no, no. Did no. I talk about this on the podcast? Yeah, oh, that's... No, I talked about this on uh, the knife cat, the other podcast I was on. Yeah. So, so it's much, the process, not the material. It's yes, the process. The process. Yeah, it's, like, it's like, like old copper. Japanese... Yeah, yeah. All, like old Japanese, the gold, silver, platinum mokume. That's still mokume because one of the metals is just melting slightly, the lowest temperature one, and oh, sticking okay. everything else together like a glue. Yeah, mm, it's gotcha. a, it, what it is is a diffusion bond. Basically, you're heating up, you're heating up some uh, your brass and your iron or whatever, whatever your combination is going to be. You heat it up under pressure and let it kind of braise itself together. So it's a weak diffusion bond hmm. it's like a like a weld but like pretty yeah but it's a very weak weld like yeah you, okay if you run a fast bandsaw on it it'll probably shear it all to pieces it'll delaminate wow. yeah it'll delaminate like crazy yeah like when you buy chest stuff because of a disclaimer that you can't bandsaw people have done that it works but you heat up the stuff too much it'll come apart or also uh if you just the bandsaw blade is dull it might catch the copper and kind of just peel it apart I wonder if it'd work with one of those, um, hmm. one of them so bandsaw blades. The whole thing is a sad blades. gimmick. I get it. Yeah, without the without the teeth on it, that just does it by uh, friction. No, that's work. not that's not for those materials. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. You cannot let it heat up. Oh, okay, gotcha. Friction or heat. The bandsaw blades aren't also just... really friction. They're kind of yeah. diamond coated, like SM100. That, yeah. That's what you use those blades for. Uh, you okay. Absolutely cannot. Get it so hot. How do, grind, how do you grind it without getting it hot? Like you that? machine it. You have to machine it. Oh, you can grind it. Well, you can grind it, but you have grinding won't pull it like a bandsaw. Like the individual teeth will start pulling it. Yes, individual it teeth will out. actually catch in between the layers and, and pull it hmm. apart. But grinding it an, an abrasive belt is too fine to grab individual layers. And it just don't just be careful to not get it too hot. Yep. Hmm. So when you etch when you etch the uh, the titanium Damascus and you and you get that sort of classic that look that we're all used to, um, what what how does that work? So so it's two different types of titanium. It's a titanium and an alloy. Like when when you look at your material or, or one of the other available materials, uh, and you heat color it or or you electro etch it, like and, it's, and you it's get definitely these... from it's from heat and you can definitely tell a difference in my material versus Timascus or Mokutai. Okay. They uh Mokutai uses a, a, a really high layer count. Mm. And most of the time it's only patterned on one side. It's some good looking stuff, don't get me wrong, but it's a super high layer count. And it's it hides scratches very well. 
Like, mm. you don't have to finish it as well as Mokutai, and you certainly don't have to finish it as well as my material, because I use a low-layer count. See, Chad uses 50 layers. His, his base is like a 50-layer count. Alpha Knife Supply might use 60 to 70 layers. And my layer count is usually between 34 and 46. So with a higher layer a, count, you're going to get a tighter pattern? Yes, a tighter pattern whenever you pattern it. I think a, a looser pattern kind of looks better to me. It does. It's yeah. it's harder to finish, but I think, well, that was the look that I was going for. I, yeah. I would see, like, Chad's stuff, it was super structured, but it was always the same. Like, every billet was the same. There was no no uniqueness. You know, it was mm, not uh-huh. special to me. Beautiful stuff, mm. don't get me wrong. I've used tons of it. But so is every other knife maker. Any knife maker can go and buy that. Right. And yeah. any knife maker can make a knife with it. Same color scheme because it's the same alloys. So, you know, they can get the same colors and it can look exactly like someone else's Mokutai frame lock or someone else's Timascus frame lock. Different design, but same material. And I just. I basically got tired of that, and I went and I made my own stuff, and I went and I I had a certain look that I wanted. So I went out and I fucking made it. Yeah, they do definitely have a certain look to them. Your uh, your Mokutai, you call it Mokutai, well, your Robtanium, yeah. Yeah, I call it Robtanium. Yeah. So, but I mean, you don't you you would you say? I mean, uh, I don't know. Master is a strong word, but I mean, you you've you've definitely, you've nailed this to, to a point where you feel confident to make this. But I know that you don't make this on a regular basis and you certainly don't make it for sale necessarily. No, certainly don't make it for sale. Yeah, I wouldn't want to do that. That's yours. Hell no, it's yeah. mine. It is definitely mine. Yeah. And it's, it's, it doesn't go anywhere. Like I, I, I sent, I brought some, brought some for Nick. A little, a little bit, so you could make clips and stuff out of here and there. A small it. piece, yeah. You got a piece here. <laughs> it's a fucked up piece, but it's, it's still a, a piece. It's, yeah, piece. Yeah, it's a piece. It's a piece that you could probably get a clip or two out it's, of. Uh, it's a hundred thou thick. What clip are you fucking making out of that? I'm just gonna have it. It's nice to have. Make a maybe worry we could stone, do a uh, <laughs> worry stuff. <laughs> a war, a yeah, worry credit go. card, maybe. A worry credit card. There as soon go. as you said that little pieces, I just thought, oh, we could do some inlays for some black stars. Wonder what that. What people think of that? Yeah, Joe will tell you to go fuck yourself <laughs> with that little piece. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's oh. nothing, there's no scraps in my shop that's big enough to fixture and cut into something. Yeah. Trust me, I use every, every drop of that material, I use it. Well, when you go into that length, you know, to make it, you want to use up all yep. you can. There's yeah. nothing, there's nothing bigger than three-eighths. Wow, that's crazy. Diameter, uh, radius, di- or nothing bigger than a three-eighths circle. You ever thought about making, uh, I don't even know if you can, but could you make screws out of that stuff? Yeah, you can. You can. But we we don't really, like, neither one of us have the machinery to do it properly. Yeah, that would would definitely cost hundreds of thousands of dollars in machinery to to do that. uh, Unless you uh, have uh, Nick's Nick's Uh, programming uh, He he could do it on his lathe, but he he has minimal knowledge on lathes, and threading on the lathe is more of an advanced technique. I don't know how to do that on a lathe either. I could technically do it on my Haas, but the unfortunate thing is doing it on the Haas to make a screw requires a lot of material waste. So it's like, I'm going to need five times more material than the screw actually uses to make it. Give me some, I can do it on my little Sherline. 
I'll, yeah. uh, I could I could definitely. <laughs> He also, he also doesn't make rod. He makes flat bar. So like, I, I could make it a flat bar in the mill. I have still not successfully made a rod. And turn it and turn it down. Yeah. Well, no, I could. I, I could mill it and thread mill it, but uh, I've tried it. I, I could do it. It just it, it seems like a shame. And, and if I charge for, I have to charge a fuck ton for it. Like the billets that I that I made him. Like I made some uh, currently troop mascus, but when I actually start making more of it, it's going to be Jew mascus. Yep. Jew mascus. Yeah, because the patterns. That's so racist. I'm a Jew. I'm allowed to do that. <laughs> He's allowed. <laughs> I'm allowed. I'm, Rob, I'm, I'm of the tribe. You have made pivots out of that stuff, right? Or pivot heads? Yeah, pivot heads. What I'll do is I'll actually make a pivot out of 440 on my lathe. Yeah, because you want, you yeah, want the actual that, pivot to steal. And yeah. then uh, turn down the head of the pivot. So mm -hmm. say like an eighth inch or three thirty seconds of an inch. And then I'll design something to go over that. And press fit down onto that, and that's that'll be the actual head, and I'll cut a driver into it. Machine yeah. a uh, machine mm. a driver into it, or whatever. And, and a lot of times, what it'll what it'll be is I'll make a one-off custom pivot and one-off custom driver for that pivot. Mm. That's cool. You and Frank are trying to one-up each other on those pivot yes. designs. Yes. Well, Frank, Frank, Frank yeah. is uh, he's the master. I'm not going to bullshit you. He. He knows I mean, what he's doing whenever it comes to pivot designs. He's got 50 yeah. or so pivot designs. He has a huge amount of them. You're going at it with a rotary table, right? Yeah, well, yeah, rotary table, or yeah. you can do it on a CNC if you know how to fixture, That's fixture all that. That's cheating. <laughs> I've, trust me, I've made a lot of them on my, uh, on my rotary table or just using the DRO. But yeah. the mm -hmm. more intricate you get, you're definitely going to need a CNC machine. You guys hear the compressor in the background? Yeah, a little bit. That's not a, a problem. Bit. I was about to say, without a DRO, that'd be pretty difficult. So, Rob, how many how many total knives do you figure you've made with just just like what we would call sole authorship pieces? But I mean, how, how many you figure you've <clears> made the material for and, and finished a, a folding knife with just your materials? Uh, six or seven. Okay. Seven, seven of them, with uh, another fourteen or so to make. Oh, so you have pending orders for, for the, yes. the sole authorship pieces. Yep. I have to get to them, of course. But, yes, I definitely have a... I think it's 13 or 14 sole authorship orders. Wow. Okay. And now, are these all varying models, or these are models that you are sort of on the fly? You're, you're, you're creating new models as you go? Uh, they're all one-offs, and the customer has a huge amount of input on what goes on it or what options are there, the size of the knife, whatever whatever size they want, I'll design it to their spec. But it has to be one of my signature models. You know, It has to be an F-16 or a P-40, Warfighter. It has to be one of my designs, but I will redesign it and make it to the size that they specify. Hmm. Okay. But I mean, you're not. You don't. Do you? You're not. Your books aren't open. You don't take orders. These are just orders no, that you only. I only take orders on, so authorship pieces, and that's that book is currently full. I have a sheet of paper, and I wrote down the names until I got to the end of that piece of paper, and then I closed that as well. Wow. So how how long has that been closed for? I mean, uh, that's once once I get uh, half the page done, then I'll take the bottom half of the page, you know, like another six or seven orders. Gotcha. 
And out. I'm not I'm not doing books or orders anymore. Okay. I think that's the so way what, to go. What I'll what I'll do is I I make what I want to make, and I contact the next guy in line that's on my order books. Whether or not they wanted that model or not, I'm still going to contact the guys that are on my books for available knives until I find one of the guys that wants it. Hmm. I think that's the way to do it, man. Just do what you want. Well, what Open I was doing... for more doing, creativity. What I was doing was um, basically spending a week on a knife that should have only taken two days or three days. I was spending seven days on it due to the customer having so much input that it was making it difficult to fucking make. There's no money in making one week, you know, one knife a week that's only a thousand bucks because the guy wanted a certain grind on it or a certain finish or a certain backspace or a certain material. Oh, you know, I got to shut down his shit, order something for him, get that material in, start it over. You know, it was it was a big hassle and a big pain in the ass, and it's just not the way to make money at making knives. He says this while currently he's in New York working on custom orders that we just took today. That's yes, different, Nick. That's a collab. These, yeah, these oh, are really? a collab, and also these have specified options. Like yeah. this is what you can get. You there's know, nothing else. Well, yeah, I spent a lot of time developing that. These, there's enough options there that if you can't find what you want, I'm not the maker for you. And what a graceful cross dissolve into our current setup. So, uh, so the time, the, the year doesn't out, sell like, it. You don't want it. <laughs> yeah. Well, go ahead. All right. Oh. So then, at some point, uh, so oh, the Rob, year is 2010. A 14 year old me puts a post up on USN asking questions about detents. Before the time of the Instagrams, as we say every episode. Was this yes. before Instagram, oh, Nick? It's definitely before, before Instagram. Instagram. Yeah, on the on the USN forum. Usual Suspects Network. This redneck named Robert Carter drops off his phone number and says, call me. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll call this guy. So 14-year-old me calls this, this older guy. As every episode, this gets awkward. And, yeah. uh, and I spent about 10 hours on the phone with him talking about detents and knife making, eventually talking about life and... Like making plans because we he was part time and I was and I was learning transitioning from uh, the hundred flicks blades that I ground and never finished. And I was like, "Fuck this, let's make folders." Um, I yeah. knew I knew enough about knife making at the time to where I felt like I could have benefited someone with my knowledge. So I offered it, and that's how I met Nick. Mm-hmm. Uh, both our lives have changed forever. It has definitely changed. Um, Wherever you were joined at the hip. Right now we're te- we are literally joined at the hip. Right now we are mm-hmm. so close together because we're sharing. Like we're feeling each other's body heat right now because yes, we're sharing a headset. So, so weird. Um, it's uncomfortable. Yes. Not like my position is uncomfortable. Like this is uncomfortable being this close to Nick. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of heat coming off that. Yeah, because yeah, my arm is sweating. <laughs> my so- my arm is sweating, and I'm no, not even I, touching I, I didn't want to say that. He puts man. off that much body heat. So do you. We literally just got back from the gym. Okay, uh, so... Time it, the story's not getting better as you go yeah, So Yeah, I know. So, <laughs> to, to, to time starts then for me. And ever since we were talking for a while, uh, it ended up coming to... I had a mini panic attack a year after that when I was like about to go full-time and had a whole bunch of parts not work out. Ended up taking, like... A last minute trip. I called him. I'm like, "Hey, Rob, you doing anything next week?" 
He's like, nah, I'm, I'm offshore for about three, four weeks. I'll be, what's up? Okay, cool. I'm flying down. He's like, what? I'm like, can I fly down? Just do some stuff in person. So I ended up flying down there, bring some parts. And we ended up finding out I wasn't the bad knife maker. My uh, water jetter was the bad person on those parts. And my knowledge was limited at that time to figure that out myself. Uh, so then we ended up making some, we made uh, six Colab knives. Um, helped me figure out how to make, not like how to make, the, the mechanisms of the knife, at least. And uh, I'd say you learned some stuff then, too, yes, machining-wise. I was, I I was pretty proficient did. for my age and my knowledge in machining, but I, at that time, I had, like, a mini panic attack. I, like, I'm like, I thought I just couldn't make a knife, and it turned out it was just kind of bad parts that I was putting too much faith into. Nick, how old were you when you, when you went down to visit Rob first? Probably 15. Really? Yeah, wow. he was very young, 15, 16 years old. And I definitely no, tortured. Six, 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 oh, wow. I definitely okay. tortured his ass Poor whenever he got there. Age. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah. Rob, like, what'd you think? Here comes a city boy from New York coming. I <laughs> to really, my honestly, I didn't think much of it, man. I'm I'm a pretty laid back guy and very accepting of of others. We were on the. Uh, I, we I had no phone. judgment. Yeah, we talked yeah. on the phone almost every day for like hours at that point. So we're also, pretty comfortable. Nick, you're not really, that. you're not really the cliche city boy either, really. Yeah. Well, not at that time I was. I was a little. Uh, when I was a boy, just he. But at that time, he was still working on the ship, so he had about mm-hmm. a, every two, three weeks. He had about a ten, eleven hour drive to Louisiana. He had nothing to do but call me, pretty much, and I was working at the shop. Yeah, because working... my, my drives were always late at night, so I didn't have much to do. And uh, Nick seemed to always be up, so I'd call him and we'd bullshit about knife making. Yeah, yeah Nick's that's... nocturnal. Yeah, he very much is. Like, no, I'm not nocturnal. Yeah, bullshit. I, just, I just don't sleep. I work around the clock. You don't sleep at all. I mean, it's 2.15 uh, right now. We're on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, no shit. That's what nocturnal is, by the way. After this, I'm going to go make knives. So, yeah, uh, after this, we have to go yeah. go get back to work. Yeah, at night. Taking one of those go-go's and working all night. Um, so I fly down there. We make stuff. Uh, I end up crashing his four-wheeler, breaking that thing. Oh, my God. he didn't God. listen to me. He was so hammered, and I was hammered too. So he was yeah. like, "I can't drive this thing." I'm like, "Just fucking do it, man up and do it." Mind you, I didn't. I just got my license. At the, I, was, <laughs> I still had a permit, and it's in the middle of the woods. I never, I never, I have my dirt road knowledge of driving was what I learned there the couple of days prior, and it's also pitch black at night there. And like we mentioned before, at four o'clock in the morning, you get quarter inch layer of dew. So the whole four we were covered in dew. I couldn't see out the windshield, so I decided to poke my head off the side. And the moment I do that, the turn comes, and I just went straight up the little hill into the tree. Um, I don't know yeah. how he made it from there back to the house yeah. with that thing. I, I really don't. Rod. Uh, like, it, one it was, tire was completely loose. Like we, the we, ball joints and tie rod was completely luckily gone. Luckily, it was only left turns. If if I had to make a right turn, I wouldn't have made it. I probably would have made more damage because I would probably spun out the wheel and just snapped it. Thankfully, it was all left turns. Uh, but yeah, we made six collab knives out of S110V. Oh, God. Um, I don't remember the tie rod for anything. Yeah, those not fun to grind. Uh, even though I didn't grind those. but uh, So then came back. Uh, what happened after that? Came back right before Blade Show, two years before, in a row. Yeah, came back right before Blade. And then the following, then I came back there again. Uh, no, no. Then you, then we just were, we just at that time we were we were already comfortable. We talked to each other, working on other projects, thinking about stuff. We were just kind of both doing our own thing, just 
talking all the time because he was still not full time for about two years after that. He, would, he went full time about two years after that. Or I when I we went full time pretty much the same year. I was eighteen at that point, and uh, we attempted. Um, no, that's not the DVM project yet. No, we, no, no. We did two projects at at my shop. You flew down and did two projects at my shop. We did the. Uh, what do we do before between the BBM and the 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 one that we was gonna get Riot to do for that us? That was what we did the first time I flew down. That was it. Oh wait, I think we made more of those. I think we did yeah, three we, the first time I came down, and then we did seven after. From yes. The, yeah. Okay. So right. I I brought I brought some of my parts. We made three that first time we, I went down there, and then two years later I flew down again, and that was we made six for Blade Show, and then from Texas we flew to Blade Show. I want to yep. get I want to get to the BBM project, uh, and then wow. two more years after that, <laughs> Rob just wants to jump right in. Yeah, well, I flew down uh, for about a week and a half to make six knives for Blade Show. Uh, they were all pretty for Blade Show. And, okay. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't have a table for Blade Show. It was my first. It was my second Blade Show. Uh, my first Blade Show was just to show stuff around. But it was my second Blade Show, first time ever being at a table, and uh, he was nice. Like we just kind of worked out the collab, so that way I had the opportunity to be at a table. Yeah. And experience that. Uh, Showed him around. Yeah. How, how everything works and all that good stuff. That way. You know, he wouldn't just be thrown thrown under the bus, so to say. And then again, with two years, just sharing knowledge as we were, as we worked on new things we learned. At that point, I already had a CNC, so I was doing that kind of, all that cool stuff with the CNC. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we decided to try put my CNC to work after I was out of work for eight months. And Robert's like, "Well, I'll come down. We'll we'll get to machine all these parts, and we'll make some money." Fortunately, that was a big failure. On on our end, it was a failure, but in the industry, it was a great success. And that was known as the 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 hell of a BBM project. Yes, the BBM project. Um, it just it was a lot of sh- shitstorm after shitstorm. It was pretty much I was supposed to get, I got power late. I got power like a week before he came to my shop. I was out of work for eight months. Started working for like a week, then he flew down, so I was still kind of in shambles. But uh, that wasn't really the main issue. The main issue was our water jetters, water jet blew up. So we didn't get parts for like Robert's eighth day here. Then when we finally got parts, we found out the titanium we got was shit. The, the, the parts weren't just warped. They were warped and twisted. Uh, the worst parts I've ever seen in my life and the worst titanium I've ever seen to, the, to this date. Uh, it was probably easier if we had t- if we had time and, and money, mo- mainly time. It, I would like today if I had that, I'd probably just buy a new sheet of titanium and start over. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but we didn't have time. Also, we didn't have like it was just it was like just make it work. He ended up leaving after being here for three weeks. A single knife not finished, and then when he left, I was able to finish the ten that are on the bench. But it was just it was a it we, was a pain in the ass. Had, we undervalued the, pro- the entire project. We, we started had a like five hundred fifty dollars. We almost lost the shirts on our back after that. We made them happen, and then all of a sudden, it became like a cult. That knife has like weird cult following, and uh, everyone who's ever bought that knife made three times as much money as we did. Unfortunately, yeah, the old secondary market—it's yep, what drives the primary. That secondary, yeah. It's been two and a half years, and that secondary and that model still holds strong. Yeah, still holding strong for sure. Hey, it was better that you know you priced them right, and then the secondary is that good. Yeah, it's it's very possible, but. Yeah. The, uh, you know, if we ever make some more BBMs, they'll be priced accordingly. And well, we were supposed to make more of this trip around, but I was busy because my father joined on full time two months ago and I had a shop flood and 
house fire and all sorts of shit again, uh, of course. And so I was like, look, there's last minute. Just you're coming off. MK1s are proven out. We had great success with them last time. We'll just make some more right now. And we'll figure out another trip to make DVMs. Yeah, we sat around. Um, the water jet had our material loaded onto the water jet. And then the water jet blew up while our material was fixtured on it. So they couldn't just pull our material off. So we were stuck. Like, I, I had already spent a couple grand in material. The flight up here, Nick had already spent a couple of grand getting ready for me to show up here. So we were both broke whenever I showed up. And then we had all these damn issues that we could not, like, we were professional fixers. Not knife makers, but fixers At after after the BBM yeah, project. Because it was so... They Did were you have so, to fix everyone <laughs> Yeah, we had to At bend. Out of 41, and, one worth oh my God. To where, like, we just put it together and it worked. So 40 knives each we were, had an issue. We were actually happy. And there was about six different issues hmm. that we had to sort. We had to pretty much pinpoint what was the problem to even fix it. And it took us, like, two months to even figure out the first issue. Like, there was issues all over the place with that damn thing. Because it, it was warped. So depending which way it was warped and twisted, it'll bind at the pivot head. It'll bind at the bearing. It'll bind at the uh, at the pivot body. All right. So just exactly how many BBMs did you guys make during that run? Uh, what was the total finish so Like I said, we made 41, and one of them worked perfectly. But once they left the shop, they worked perfectly, obviously. But when we put them together, they weren't working. Yeah, straight off the that's machine, where the, straight that's from where the heat knife treat. maker comes yeah, we, in. Yeah, we definitely no, that's had some where the issues. Fixer comes in. We weren't yeah, knife maker to, six months. Yeah, uh, knife we got magic. Them, we it got out. them all to work. Yeah, it we, took us about ten months to get them all out in our free time because it wasn't like just oh make it. It was like I would have to sit there in my free time and my weekends and try to fuck with them till they till they worked. And once I got them working and locking and detenting properly, I'd set them to rob the finish. Yeah, because I had already ground all the blades. So all the blades were sitting here ground, just waiting, you know, waiting for handles. Yeah, whenever I had free time, so it's like, well, okay, I have enough money right now. I guess I could go lose some money and just work on these for free. Yeah, basically. Go, yeah, it was whenever they much, would at that point, it was free labor. Whenever they would show up at my house, it was basically I was working for free as well. Um, but yeah, that that's the story of the the, the Lucid BBM. Uh, yeah, really. You guys love loss them. Of, of finances. Yeah, you guys love very them. intense. Well, you guys, ha we hate them. <laughs> very intense. I went a full month without any any money coming in. Uh, uh, imagine people who have full time jobs. Imagine you expect the paycheck every month. Yeah, you got um, bills to pay every month. Yes. Imagine six grand in bills every month, and then you right. miss a month. Yep. Well, actually, you miss two months because you didn't pay your bills before to fly up here and buy a whole bunch of stuff, and then no. Now, that, that month. Now, Rob had that, but he also has kids in the family. And now, for me, it was another different story. I was out of work for eight months and I had to take on a lot of debt to, to make to even figure that out because I had issues with the shop move, unfortunately. Not going to get into that. But uh, now I'm like, okay, so we'll fly down. We're going to make a lot of money. Let me go spend some more money. And <laughs> at the end of this month, I'll be good. Yep. All those eight months and we'll make money. And it ended up being like three, four more months of hell, some more debt. Some more figuring out, crunching numbers, and it was it was bad. But you know what? We kicked that ass, though, didn't yeah, we? Eventually. Okay. All right. So, given all the trials and tribulations, <laughs> are, are you guys going to do another BBM run or or not? Like, what's up? Yeah, we were, we were supposed to. Well, the problem wasn't the model. 
I, I like I redesigned that entire model. Rob gave me a three and a quarter inch version. I shrinked it down to a three inch version, and I made it narrower, and I changed the whole internals. Like the whole internals of that knife and the way the knife was set up is different than what he had. Yeah, it's a completely different knife. It just looks the same. Yeah, a little bit of it looks the same, but if you put one the original next to the the version I redesigned, it's a it's a different knife. Yes, it's a completely different knife. Um, a true collab. Yeah, and uh, we we were gonna make more of this trip, like I mentioned earlier. It just the time constraints because I, I my my father joined on full time two months ago, and then uh, I had two major issues like come up that you can't plan for a shot flood and a in a fire. Uh, I was like, look, Rob. I could try to figure this out in two weeks after well, I got back from Blade We were still up until like three, two weeks ago. It was still going to be BBMs. I called Rob a week before he flew down. I'm like, look, Rob, you're flying down in a week. I can probably make this happen and update and get up everything working for BBMs. But you're coming for a month and I'm not going to risk like being a delay. Like, let's just make some RCs. We know we can make money. We, the process is proved out. I have all the fixtures and cab ready. Let's just do this. Be safe. Make the money. And figure everything out guys are happy people still want the mk1 rcs so the next project uh came about let's say a year and a half later was rcs back in december of 2018 so robert was planning to come back to new york after as we mentioned the great failure of 2017 the bbms and this time around i told him like look i just finished the batch of mk1s the design is proven out the fixtures are ready the cad is ready the camera's ready. Now, mind you, he booked tickets for like a month. And, like, he's oh, I'll come down in a month. I'm like, okay, I guess we'll figure something out. <laughs> uh, so I, I told him, look, uh, it's short notice. This is proven out. I just made these. They work great. I have the process down. Uh, the fixtures are ready. The CAD is ready. Let's just do this model. We'll call it the MK1 RC instead of the MK1S. It'll be a variant, and I'll we'll modify the blade a little bit to look like on your blades and. Like essentially, the design is 95% the same. All the options on the knife are the same, uh, sculpting-wise. Uh, the clips, everything's the same. The only difference is that little scoop in the back of the blade, and the tip of the tanto is slightly different shape. But pretty much everything about the options and the handle... It still makes it look quite different. Yeah, it's the only really area is different is the, is the blade. But like, like You could take an MK1S and change the blade. Like it's, everything's interchangeable. Uh, but that was the way it was designed. The whole point was so that way it wasn't like, oh, let's make a whole new knife like we do with the BBM. It was let's figure this out so we don't have the BBM issue happen again. Yes. And that, like I said, that's why I I'm just here. made this batch. It all worked. It all was great. Let's just do it. Thankfully, the great collab of December 2018 was a success. It, it was. We left. We made money. We weren't eating ramen for a month. Uh, <laughs> it absolutely was a success. Yeah, we, we Our first it. project, we finished zero knives in, in three weeks. And this time we fin- and then in that- ten days we had several finished knives. Oh, you, know. you were you were here for two and a half weeks, and we had fifteen knives finished. No, you were here for hmm? uh, eighteen days or so. Yeah, eighteen, eighteen or nineteen days, and we finished fifteen knives. Finished which 15 is fifteen knives, pretty fucking impressive. Lots of detents on ten more. Uh, we pretty good. We kicked some. And we we did kick some up. ass. And then we had the three sitting around that we're finishing up now, just because we don't have parts for them, but. And already, since I've been here this time, which, what, six days, five days? I don't fucking know. I haven't been here that long. I've already finished two two knives. So we're already ahead. We're, four more. we're slightly behind right now because we just stuff. 
But uh, we should be fine because this time there's a third person. There's my father full time. So yep. once we actually out. get all the parts machined up and assembly and all that, we have someone else helping us. Uh, also, Rob's here for a little longer. At this point, he's here for the same amount of time as he was last time, but we should still be fine. Hmm. Um, but yeah, like we said earlier, we weren't supposed to do MK1RCs. It was supposed to be BBMs, but just I had a hell of a three, four months. And I was like, look, once again, for safety reasons, you're coming back for a long time. This is proven out. We know we could do it. Let's do it once more and just try out now that we have a third person. Let's try out the process with a third person. Um, so we'll see how this goes. Yeah. This works out great. We'll probably come down again for a BBM project. Maybe next time I, I got to get back to Texas. So maybe we'll do two weeks here, two weeks Texas. Maybe we'll come down, machine all the parts, do some rough assemblies, and then fly down to Texas and do some finished work and whatnot. Uh but between the RC project and the BBM project, we skipped over. I flew down to Texas to go learn how to forge some of my own stuff. Uh, forged some stuff with Robert over there, some stainless Damascus, and uh, slightly talked about some titanium Damascus. And he's like, you, you can't do it here. Uh, so you got to kind of figure this out yourself. He kind of gave me a couple of pointers, and he said, you got to go figure out the rest. Uh, I was able to borrow some time out of Forge, and I was able to do it. Um, but nice. Yeah, without Robert, probably wouldn't have been able to do that. Well, I didn't give you all the secrets. No, you just gave me some pointers. You, you still had to figure, to figure it, out. it out. I don't know how much money you spent in failures, but you still had to figure it out. I had to figure it out. Everybody else got to figure it out. Yeah. You showed me how to do a stainless. Uh, I forged some carbon in the past as well. I kind of got the technique down and everything for that, so I'm trying my hand at it. Thankfully, the build stuck. Um, but yeah, that was a great trip. Well, we really did that time was make some materials. I did. We made you brought, some. You brought uh two BBMs. We made. Oh, no, we made three. So we made one standard BBM, uh, and then we made two really fancy BBMs yep. with inlays. One, the Damascus yep. one for auction, another one with inlays and hand rub blade, uh, to just cover our cost and time to make some money while I was down there. Hmm. Um. Yeah, and then later on after that, Shirley came the BBM project. I mean, the MK1RC project. Um, yeah, but that worked out. So the process was proven. We're like, okay, we could do this. We could figure this out. It's very, it's very hard for Robert to leave for a month. And yeah, it is. You, it's like it's, hard, it's, it's hard, hard on my family. It's still working. We still got to get shit done. Yeah, I'm still working. Still um, making money, but yeah, being away from the house is definitely hard on mm -hmm. my family. Also, <laughs> I don't think. Uh, <laughs> And um, it's hard on my training regiment too. We went at the gym every. I, no, I need like my jujitsu. That's yeah, my that's tank you. You've been doing that for like a month and a half. I've been doing that since January. That long? Yeah. Okay. Um. So now again, he came back. Obviously, he's here right next to me, and we're doing some more RCs, and that's going great so far. Where we're trying out some new processes, some new handle patterns, and machining. While he's here, we are working on some different designs. Uh, we are gonna we're finding not necessarily BBM V2, but we're changing a couple things because I did like I did mention before in the podcast. We haven't mentioned it out in public. We just kind of sneaked into the podcast earlier uh, a BBM run with Riyadh, and I have to change that up so that way it's not like the customs, not like my custom, our collab custom, not like his custom, um, and then not like the customs we'll be making after. Mm. Yes. And then so also, it's it's going to be a new version that's not like any of the other versions that are new versions as well. Oh, so they're new versions of the new versions. It's the newer versions of the newer versions. I yes. got you. Okay. All and right. I'd like to make the new it's one. It's Knifeception. 
kind of what it sounds like. So it'd be three of our, there's the BBM batch one, the China BBMs, and then BBM batch twos. Hopefully, theoretically, maybe, possibly, who knows? Hmm. Uh, and then the custom model design BBM by me. Yes. So there's there's going to be a lot of BBMs in the future. Like just a couple of handfuls of maybe projects coming up in, yes. in the future. Yeah, somewhat um, maybe, sort of, who knows? Sort of. Possibly. Um, and also, as we mentioned, there's the other one we designed Allegedly. about two and a half years ago. We're, again, similar situation to the BBM. He sent over his generalist file. And, uh, yes, I'm looking forward to this project. Yeah, it's a pretty neat blade. It's a nice, slim, nice EDC-able package. A little bit simpler to grind, not these tantos and compound grinds and all sorts of things. Uh, probably do that one too. And that one's going to be a whole other process. We, we, we're thinking about doing it to where we don't have to necessarily fly down for such fear. We'll, he'll probably still fly down or I'll fly down, but it won't be like these long stints probably. We're going to be three versions. We're still working out the details. Uh, it'll be the co- the collab, uh, the custom, and then we'll have our individual customs where I make the entire thing and my logo will be on it, and then he'll make it like his custom text where yep. he'd make it. Yeah, I just machine the parts for it, but he'll do all the grinding and his finishing processes. And mm. So there'll be three versions of that, the individual and then the actual collab version. Well, that sounds very confusing. I'm excited. Oh yeah, I, I, I had to figure <laughs> out. A whole, I had to figure out a whole there, local process. Yeah, for there's them. there's a there's a lot of stuff going on. There really is, and it it's is nuanced. Well, yes. Yeah, we were gonna start very a whole confusing. company around the whole collab stuff to make it separate, and we just we ended up doing something else. It's gonna be modern tactical hillbilly or hillbilly modern tactical, something like that. So what's uh, uh, so you guys are working on uh, MK1 RCs right now? Yes. Uh huh. And so, you guys opened the books. They sold out. Books we opened closed. the books today at nine o'clock. While Instagram and Facebook were taking the shitter, it was a bit of a complication. Web- my website runs on the Facebook platform, so it kind of crashed right before the pre-order. Thankfully, got it running right at nine o'clock when the pre-order launched. Uh, we're very grateful. Thankfully, that they sold out right away. Uh, yes, that pretty was much recently. So that always feels good and lets you know that at least people still want your stuff and you're still uh, relevant. Yep, pretty much still relevant. Uh, so we got to make those. We're making more than 15. We did pre-orders. Uh, making a couple for some dealers, a couple for first, some first comes, first serves, lottos. The 15 orders. We didn't want to do a full, like last time we did that many. Uh, just because we get a good amount done while he's here. But once once he leaves and there's if there, there's usually still some left on the bench. Then it takes uh, time to get Some those customers done. are easy and fine. Some mm. customers are like, where's the knife? And we're like, it's a collab between two makers in different states. The, the timelines on these shift a lot on like the normal customs. Um, yeah, it's definitely not easy to, to, to yeah, line to all this stuff up. to everything together. And then if we, when we do stuff that way, they're not as, as true as of a collab because then one maker does most of the work on that specific knife. And some of those I did most of the work on. Some of them he did most of the work on. They're not as, as true of a custom. I mean, a collab that way. So I figured let's do just 15 orders, and that way it's easier to, to get those done while we're here. And then whatever else we make, we make. At the end of the day, it's the MK1 platform. So whatever we don't make, I'll just make my version of it. Um, I could just make, I could make the blades as we go along. We need more blades. Make a couple more blades. But thankfully, the handles, spacers, clips, all that's I could just take it over. Um... Yeah, we're gonna do some special ones like last time. We're gonna do some with inlays, some with fancy materials, but those won't be the ordered ones. Those are all gonna be just the lottos, and we make them as we have time. Trying to get Robert to go to the USN show, 
If not, I'll probably still have some RCs there. I'll figure that out. So uh, what? What's the next show um, that you guys are doing? Or, or Rob, what what do you, what shows do you do? Well, I'm doing USN. And I'm um, trying to get. I them usually out there. I usually always do USN. Okay. But things at home have been chaos lately because I've started training six days a week. Uh, Tang Sudo and Jiu Jitsu, and my son also is training with me. And it's it's nice. It's it's nice to hang out with my kids and spend that time with them. And I would kind of rather do that than make knives. So, hmm. yeah, I'd rather just not go to the show and spend three to four grand going to a show just to sell a few knives and you know pay three to four grand to to go deliver some knives. Yeah. I'd rather just hang out at the house, hang out with my kids, spend time with my family, and make knives from the house. It only costs like 20 bucks to overnight something, 30 bucks to overnight something. I don't think anybody would begrudge you for, for that reason. No, no, no. Uh-uh. Yeah, because the last, the last couple of shows, and uh, I've been traveling a lot lately. Last couple of shows, I haven't exactly had a lot of time to spend with my family. Mm. And I've I kind of miss them. So I, I want to hang out with my family and go to our jujitsu and do our tang sudo and, you know, hang out with my son and my daughter and wife. Spend some time with them. And that's probably why I'm not going to USN show. Yeah, I'm trying to get him to go. I might still go. I don't know. You, you and April show up? Like, yeah, oh, yeah. Me we and April. To come. <laughs> he has a table. I'm like, uh, yeah, I've got a table. We'll, we'll, but make, some, I, we'll make some RCs. I don't know if I'm going to go or not. There might there might be a hurricane pop-up. You never know. It has yep. to be. Unforeseen circumstances. Literally happened. <laughs> it has literally happened. Yeah. And I got, I got flooded in at my house. I was on an island. Couldn't leave. Couldn't go to the store. Couldn't go anywhere. I still had power. But I could not leave because it was 11 foot of water over the road. Yeah, he's pretty much on high ground, so everything around him that was low it just flooded. Yep. Well, at least the oh house God. didn't flood. It, it, was, it was really bad. And now that I think about it, I literally, there's nowhere I can go. I can go to my neighbor's house and have game night and stuff, but other than that, I can't go anywhere. Hmm. So if another hurricane happens and hits, hits my area, I can't leave. Might want to stock up on some supplies and food. Yeah, trust me, we got that covered. Oh yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, so I'm trying to get his ass to go. I'll, I'll, I'll be there. probably end up going. I literally ordered I mean, my I've, ticket. I've got like six knives almost finished sitting on the bench right now at the house. See, that's got to be a good feeling. Perfect reason to come to Vegas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I might just finish them and go to Vegas. Which another thing that pisses me off is. Uh, I ordered a bunch of titanium. I'm not sure if my water jet guy mixed up the titanium or if the titanium guy sent the wrong titanium. I'm not sure. Either way, I had a bunch of water jet cut parts done, and they were supposed to be 160,000 thick, and they ended up being 205 to 210,000 thick. So all the knives that I'm making right now are stupid thick. Like, I'm having to contour the fuck out of them. It's it's not a good situation, but he's one of the most unluckiest people when it comes to water jets that I know. I I, I swore off water jets for years, and then I decided, hey, you know what? My buddy's got a water jet now. I'm gonna give him a try, and his parts worked, and 
he is fantastic at his turnaround times. I literally call him Monday. I had parts at my house Tuesday. Wow, to me, that's good. To me, that's amazing. Because you that's amazing to, would, for Amazon. Yes. Yeah. I would call up my water jet guy, and then I would have like an eight month wait. Oh, that's not at, good. At the previous water jet guy, so I tried a new water jet guy, mm-hmm. and I'm still waiting on parts from last September from that water jet guy. Well, he cut parts, but they were they were messed up. Like he cut the holes too big, and they were oversized. And then some of the uh, some of the cuts that were supposed to be on the outside. Uh, the the outside contour or offset or whatever program you're running offset or contour it's supposed to have been cut on the outside and then the parts show up to like eighty thousand smaller than they're supposed to be compared to the CAD file so he must have cut on the inside of the line and it was just man it's it's really bad luck that I've had with water jet people his first one, the guy's jet blew up, and he was like, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the, the first guy took months and months to uh, to get parts to me. So I, I kind of gave up on him and was looking to go somewhere else, and then his water jet blew up. The unfortunate part, what he's talking about is not, it's not really his case. It just, that's the whole thing of water jetting. Yeah, that is the I entire water jet getting industry. getting a water jet. It's just, it's. That machine is so abrasive that at some point, it's it just destroys. No, it just <laughs> destroys itself. Well, yeah, literally, the, this first guy, his the whole intensifier in the pump just blew up, and that's eighty percent of the cost of the machine. So it's like just, there's not point. There's no point to fix it. Just buy a new one. And, it like uh, destroys itself basically. Oh, well, you yeah. change every yeah. and eventually on that machine. You change every unless the whole thing blows up. Like you change every part of that machine, but the metal housing. Everything starts to go. It's sixty thousand. Uh, PSI uh, and some some are sixty to hundred thousand PSI uh, of yeah, pressurized that... water and sand. Yeah. yeah, isn't the head or the nozzle like rubies or something? Like a uh, and the head is carbide, but then there's an orifice, and that's what pressurizes the water before the head. And uh, the cheap ones ruby. are the cheap ones are ruby, and those are like forty bucks a pop. And then like the expensive ones are diamond; those are about five hundred bucks a pop. But, like, you, you don't want to run the cheap machine with a diamond because, like, if you don't have a good separator, you got a big piece of cigar they go through and just bust out your brand-new piece of $500 diamond. Yeah. So you run the cheap ones because they're cheap rubies. Now, if you have a really good machine with good separators and filters and whatnot, then you could run the diamond. That'll run for a lot longer without maintenance. It sounds like a lot of money, but if you don't have – if you take the machine apart, the head apart, once every two months instead of once every two weeks, that's a lot of money saved. Because the, the process to rebuild a jet, depending on the jet, could be half a day if it's a jet that has to be rebuilt every two weeks, or it could be uh, three days if it's a jet that has to be rebuilt every two to three months. Mm. I am just really impressed with my new water jet guy. But even then, like he's impressed with him, but I've seen it before. He's yeah, new. He's, he's going to get new, some more work. And I've known this guy for 20 something years. He's not going to screw me over on some parts. Trust me. It's not that he wants He's to been a friend for a long, like a personal friend for a long time. And this so is new, no, new water jet this guy. This is no joke. This I called good. him. I called him Monday morning, told him what I wanted, what material out of. And we're talking Zerku type parts, not some run of the mill titanium shit. I told him specifically, I want this, this billet of Zerku type. I want this frame, this set, and this set cut out of it. And he fucking done it. And it was overnighted to me and was in, in my mailbox 
Tuesday afternoon. To me, that's impressive. And if he has a two-week turnaround, that's impressive as well. I send him well, material. Don't be putting his name out there. there because then he might not have a two-week turnaround that's time right. anymore. That's, yeah. that's very true. Well, I'm pretty sure. Close to the vest. I'm well, pretty I, sure I a lot of knife makers have switched over to this guy. We'd be sending him checks for. We'd be sending invoices for royalties. But um, yeah. besides that, no. <laughs> finder's fee. Um, yeah, so like we mentioned, the new the next one might be a little weird. We're probably gonna do the BBMs before we get to that because I gotta figure out some logistical things with that one. Uh, because it's complicated in the sense we're going to be making three versions of it. One is my 100% custom. One is Robert's 100% custom tech, I guess. And then one and version then one is, is a collab, collab version. So like, I got to figure out the logistics. I'm probably going to be all the same handles, just with different blade variations of logos. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm still figuring out the logistics on that. It's a really neat design we have to get to. Hmm. Like, this is the last one of the MK1s, and... Even for me, like I'm, I'm, I'm just so over the MK1 design. Uh, it's been my flagship. I just been making it for so long, and somehow, in the last two years, I've been trying to stop making them. And my water jetter keeps fucking up parts, and making me. I ask for one model, makes me the MK1, and I can't complain because then I get them for free. I just pay for the titanium, and I get free, free water jetting. So, obviously, business sense is just make it. Uh. But this last time, since I got a full-time employee now, and just easier to train him with things that I threw in now, I was like, look, I'll just do one larger run of MK1s with some RCs and be done with it at the end of 2019, like whatever I make this year, and that's it. Um, yeah, then we, then we move on from there to, to the, that project. That's when, so in like 2020 would be that, that Warren Cliff version. I think we had a name for it. I don't remember. I'm not going to pull up the file right now. Yeah. Uh, last time I touched it was two years ago, so year and a half ago and still a really good design yeah. it is a great design Depend it's gonna it, it's it's gonna be popular mm -hmm. i like it yeah I, I i love it too i unfortunately unfortunately it's a collab <laughs> uh, well it's also a custom yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah that, that that's going to be for 2020. I do want to make bbm in 2019 he just has to figure out some family stuff to see when he could come down again he also is a bitch and can't come down in the winter because all I hear, all he does is it complain. Is, it is too cold here in the winter for me. I'm from Texas. I need to be sweating all day long. I need to wake up and feel humid heat on my face all day. I hear that, Rob. Man, it gets way too cold up there. It, it gets too cold here. Oh, come on. In Ohio, come on. Me and Jared come like, on. Uh, what are you talking about? Is... Come on. Y'all, just throw on the fucking jacket. You'll be fine. Need the cold. You need the no, season. It's nice, it's you nice need to be freezing for. You a few need months. the seasons to stay strong. Yeah. No. It's true. A New Yorker can survive in any climate. We have all four seasons. I put on like three jackets while I was here, and I was still dying, standing in front of a heater trying to work. I feel it. Everywhere feel I way. went, I had to carry a space heater with me to put <laughs> next to my legs and my feet. I didn't even have a space heater. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> It sounded good. What are you talking about? It's good it material. Embellishment. It's, yes, it's em no, embellishment. No, he just tried to make himself not sound as much of a pussy. My fucking legs and my feet hurt for days after that. <laughs> because I was standing on con uh, you know, code concrete for uh, well, see, I'm a trying month. To, I'm trying to get him to come down sometime in the, in the fall. We'll see. I'll see what I can do after Kentucky show in December. Oh, yeah, that's right. Again. 
Again, just just to torture the same myself. thing over and over. Or, or yeah. come before the Kentucky show. I forgot show. about that show. Kentucky show, show is the best. It's the That's best the show. show. Is it, though? It is the best show. You just like Vegas. No, I mean, USN's pretty good. Nothing beats Blade Show West because of the location. But, uh, that is a cow. Blade Show West is still a pretty shitty show. It's new. Northwest Handbill Invitational should be great because of location. <laughs> but yeah, that doesn't count. It's just location. These are location. You don't want it, no, no one goes to Blade West. No one's like, it's like I, Blade West is the best show. You don't know. We, we all know Blade West is an empty show that's still being worked on. Yeah, it needs some years to develop. The best knife show of the year is Blade Show West. Empty. I don't think it's really empty. No, it wasn't uh, empty. I was just. I got, I got the footage at a weird time, and there was not a whole lot of people in there. Yeah, I, I will be there, and I will be exhibiting, but. Uh, Blade like, Show was, Again, for location. Blade Show was will pretty be good this year. Yeah, for location. No, Blade, um, just regular Blade regular Show. Regular Blade. Yeah, Any show in good. Vegas. Anytime. Yeah. yeah this is Vegas, the best Blade yeah. show yet, just because that was my first year exhibiting and it was a great show. I've never had an issue at Blade Show. But I do. Uh, yeah, I do miss uh, just going around Blade Show, fucking around. Uh, even last year, I didn't go around, fuck around. It's been like three years since I just really went to Blade Show and just enjoyed it. Yeah, see, I've never just went to Blade Show and enjoyed it. I've been going to Blade Show since I was seven or eight years yeah, old. It's different. And I've well, never. Did you, did you just go when it was still in Portland, or you've always no, gone in Georgia? It's, it's always been in Georgia whenever I went. I think well, it used to be in Cincinnati, actually. Yeah, oh, I thought it was back Portland. in the 90s. Oh, nope. Yeah, it used to be pretty close to me, but then they moved it, I guess, in 90-something. Yeah, it's late. Been in, or mid-90s. Yeah, it's mid-90s been in uh, Atlanta for like 20-some years. Yep. Yeah, I think Ken Onion was talking about it, or that he remembers the original or something like that this time. Yeah, this oh, year at Blade Show, uh, my grandfather got inducted into the Knife Maker Hall of Fame. I saw that, man. Congrats on his part. Yeah, that was this year. What did, did he get awarded? Lifetime, Achieve, uh, Lifetime Achievement Award. That was last year. Last year. Okay, I remember he got it something last year. Okay. And then Knife Maker Hall of Fame this year. That is so cool. It was, yeah, yeah awesome. it was very cool because uh, Ken Onion got up there and, and gave the rundown on Melvin and all of his patents and designs and even accredited him for the, the, the guy that came up with the flipper tab or the flipper style knife, uh, which Good I remember. I remember a, a, a while back, there was a huge thing on USN, and uh, they had a couple of guys that were, you know, uh, giving, giving credit to other people that, you know, made knives with, uh, Leisure, like, a, a leisure set. Yeah, like, a yeah. gear pattern and shit. And, we talking about Kit Carson, right? Well, no, this was back in the 50s. Like, there was a guy that had a bunch of ribs uh-huh. on, a, on a knife where you just run your finger down the spine of it, and it, it would pull the blade up. But it was, it was huh. like a slip the, joint. The rat works? It was a slip joint, not a, not a flipper, yeah. an actual flipper. Like, Melvin got arrested in California for actually bringing a flipper knife there. Oh, I remember he told me that story. He had, he had to, like, really? prove to them that uh-huh. it wasn't... Yeah, I yeah he had to prove to the authorities and the people that put on the show that it was not a automatic. Because yeah, it was a manual, knife, right? Or was yeah. it a assisted? No, no. It was just a flipper. Wow, just a manual flipper. And they thought it was just an automatic. Man- yep, they thought it was an automatic. And wow. he almost got arrested for it. Yeah, it wasn't just the cops. The people at the show were like, you can't have that at the show. Yep, they, they kicked him out of the show, and he almost got arrested. Wow. Yep. So that's before like a lot of people even knew... Yeah, that was the new man, mechanism. That was so long ago. That was probably 1990, late 80s. 
Wow. Yeah, but that's Mel's still developing stuff now. Like last time I spoke to him at USA, and I want I told you about it a little bit, Jared, because you thought you would think it's interesting, but he's like still trying. Like he he knows it's a useless mechanism, and like he just wants to do it to do it. Right. But he just wants to make like a new version of uh, of a dual action. But the way he wants to, the version he wants to do, it's like it's it's pretty useless and it's pretty kind of stupid. But he it just it seems like it's impossible. So again, he just wants to do it to show yeah. that he could do it. Yeah, I had Melvin's, no idea that Mel a was stubborn, a, an stubborn, engineer like very, that. Oh, yeah. Oh, Melvin, he was a, he Melvin was, has a master's kind of, degree in, in engineering, mechanical yeah, design yeah, engineering. Because, like, some of the tools, if you've ever been to Rob's shop, some of these tools, I'm like, oh, it like looks like a, a Char's Chinese version of that machining tool. But nice. Like, Mel made that one. Yeah, I actually have a, uh, I have a six-inch rotary table that Melvin actually built and made custom. Wow, that's crazy. I, I, that one's not that cool because he used a lot of components that were pre-made. Well, the What's table, really cool? The table is is pre-made. Yeah, but, but like the internal structure. Well, is, the casting. Yeah, he made he made the gears, but that's not as cool. what I gears. think is cooler. A lot of guys, at least knife makers, listen to the show are gonna know what a tag mill is. Yeah, Mel designed the, ta- the original tag mill. Comp- yep, design. And I, I have the original one that he designed for them. I and have the, the prototype wow. and, so he, the, and the lathe. So he designed like a lot oh. of C- like like I'm a CNC maker now, but like a lot of the guys who started CNC started with takes because they make CNC conversion kits. It's kind of like that little Sherline lathe you got. Um, they he designed that thing, and like I saw the original at Rob's shop, and like I've seen the, the the I've seen the like the new ones, and I could see like the inspiration of it. Uh, oh. Well, then it turns out he designed it. Yeah, because when Mel- I was at Rob's Melvin- shop the first time I showed him, like, is it a take? It looks like he's like, nah, yes and no. Yeah, that that was the prototype that that Tig Tig or Tag, however you pronounce it, that they copied or used for their for their production. Yeah, but when he told me that, that's why I understood like Mel's knowledge. Like he designed this mill back then. Like, okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it's wasn't basically really top mills back then. It's basically a, a a tiny milling machine, and you have a uh, a three inch square tube. You know, it's thick. It's like an eighth inch square tube. Or eighth inch thick, but it's three inches by three inches. And the head and everything is on a uh, a tilting axis. It goes, yeah, it's a it goes, tilting it's axis. It's horizontal and vertical. Yeah, it's it's a basic crude crude mill. I mean, it's it's very yeah, basic. Tabletop setup, yeah. Yeah, it's a tabletop mill, but mm-hmm. it has you know it's it has multi speed or. Uh, Variable speed, yeah. Yeah, variable speed. Well, not variable speed, but it's you have to switch out the. It's just like a, a drill press. Yeah, it's the oh, pulleys. you gotta switch out the belts. Yeah, yeah. fully, fully set up. But uh, see, I wish we could have Mel on here, but the problem is he's just so soft spoken. I don't think we'll get a decent recording. Let's get the mic close enough. Yeah. Trust me, he could fill you with. Uh, it's he, hard, even in person. Like I got, I got to put my ear like three inches in his mouth, just like here. He is a very soft-spoken man, but you can tell his voice over anybody else's whenever you hear it. Oh, I did. Yeah, every time I on a show and I hear it, I'm like, oh, that's Mel. <laughs> yep. Yeah, just put a just put a good mic on him, and you will have hours and hours. Yeah, a lapel mic. 2041, and yeah. uh, yes, <laughs> and he'll he'll break down the angles of grinds and. Uh, load bearing factors, geometry for your locks, distance. I mean, he will break down everything that you ever wanted to know about making a knife. He'll break it down into a design, dis- well, like an engineering, engineering standpoint. For yeah, the engineering standpoint and blueprint, and and just completely break it down from a structural point of sense. I mean, it, he is. He's hard to listen to sometimes. 
because he, he just gets, so in depth. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he gets so in depth. Like, like Rob knows every, every like USN. Every time I see him at a show, like I make it a point to like have a one hour sit down with Mel every time, just to shoot the shit, like see what new shit he's working on. It's like oh, he's always working on some crazy new thing. Well. Yeah, Mel, he's, he's or just quite, check out the knives that he brought. He's quite a character. Uh, right before uh, we just went to vacation in Florida, and Melvin came down because he's pretty close to us over there, just a couple hour drive. Right the day before he came down, he was walking out to his shop, and he has a really stiff spring on his door, uh-huh. and his door has a latch on it, so. He dropped something as he was walking through this door, and the door swings. He put his arm up to to catch the door from hitting him in the face while he was bent down. The latch goes into his arm. Jesus. And went underneath the skin, so he had to, like, move maneuver his arm in an angle to get the latch to come out of his arm. He's got a bu- he had a bunch of stitches and stuff in his arm. Because hmm. how old is he? He's 73, 74 years old. Every so he time has, I think about that, every time I see that man, he's like has some weird ass injury. <laughs> I mean, he's he's well, such a busybody and still doing stuff yeah, as an yeah. active. Wow, well, I'm saying like he's, he's like in mid mid to late seventies. Yeah. That's not that old, really. I mean, that's pretty fucking old. He's old, but yeah. you when you meet the man, like he's pretty weathered. He's had he's he's been a hardworking man his whole life. Yeah. He is definitely a hardworking man. There's still I uncle. can't I can't keep up with him. Yeah, I had a great uncle just sleep. turned 95 the other day. 95. I hope Melvin no, makes it to old. 95. Yeah. Melvin's going to outlive us. He might outlive Probably. us. Very possible. We, we smoke cigars we and drink bourbon too. We smoke two cigars a day and drink much. bourbon every day. Yeah, he's going to outlive us. Does Mel not smoke? No, Mel does smoke. I think Melvin's had half a lung removed and then... Oh, man. Oh. Yeah, like the upper lobe of one lung and then half the other lung has been removed. Because he had cancer, and then he had cancer in his bladder. Then he had skin cancer, and then the bladder cancer came back four times in a row. So, I mean, that guy is unkillable. Me and Rob are going to die from yeah, really? cancer. Yeah, yeah, That's a couple of, couple of strokes, bladder cancer like Dang. a dozen fucking times. The what? man is unstoppable. He, mm. they, like M, M. Night Shyamalan, Lon, whatever the fuck his name is, should make a movie <laughs> about this guy. Somebody like, should make a movie about him. Yeah, it's glass all over again, except instead of Bruce Willis, it's Mel Pardue. So, so they, uh, we really appreciate listening. And for the guys that got in on the pre-order today, being uh, the July 3rds and whenever this gets uploaded, uh, me and Rob, we're very ecstatic to see everything go again for our batch two of MK1RCs and to see that we have the continued support of all you guys out there. Um, look forward to, work, to working on some more projects in the near future, and hopefully you guys will be on board for that. Uh, all I could say is Nick Schuper now. You got anything else you want to tell us? Like your your plans for the coming weeks? I guess nah. you kind of already did that, really. Yeah, nah, I think yeah. we covered that. Yeah. Nah, I all right, well, uh, I guess you'll hear from us soon. Jeremiah and myself will be headed to Vegas and then Portland for the Northwest Handbelt Invitational. Uh, hope to see some good stuff there. out there. Robert will be here. I was supposed to go. Uh, you yeah. guys can see me at the next show being uh, a gathering. Yeah, USN. That's coming up pretty quick. I'll be there. I literally just bought my tickets during this podcast. Yeah, you um, got to buy some more tickets. Mm, we'll see about that. 
and uh, I'll make Robert go to the gathering so you can see him there. I might, I might I will, make an appearance at I the will gathering. Make Robert go to the gathering so you'll see him there. Um, the captain will make an appearance. The captain will be in the house. I'm pretty sure I'll go. Uh, I, yeah, you're I, gonna I, go. Come on. Do it. I might just bring one knife or two knives or something, but I'll still go. We'll, we'll if you got six some, on the we'll, bench, we'll, you know, we'll bring you some can, collabs. You can bring a couple. I mean, you've got Cover six your It's still two months away. You still got to sell yeah. six to make some money. Uh, I've got I got plenty of knives. Almost finished at the house. I'll I'll probably go. Mm-hmm. I'll probably go. I do enjoy Vegas, so I'll I'll probably go. But we'll we'll just have to wait and see. If if you don't see me in Vegas, then you'll see me at Kentucky show, or back here possibly in December or January. Mm, I'd recommend coming before Kentucky just because the weather. Uh, yeah, decide to come again in the coldest time of the year. And probably Shot Show, right? I mean, Shot Show is always a mainstay for you. Yeah, yeah Shot Show, I'll definitely be at Shot Show. And of Which, course, Blade. Eh, I don't know if I'll go to Shot Show either. I'm, I'm probably not doing Shot because they moved TKI now. So I have no Oh, way. yeah, TKI is in uh, Nashville now. Yeah, TKI is in Nashville. And Do any of y'all go to that? Yeah. We yes. did when it was in Vegas, but we all went I guess we're going to have to yeah. head to Nashville now. I did. I went for Nashville. TKI, do that, and Shot Show, and then the the Las Vegas Classic. Now the Las Vegas Classic is also seems pretty, eh. Yeah, yeah, TKI was going downhill. Like every maker there shows up with nothing but auction pieces. What? A TKI. Really? That's weird. Not not really. We were there. I've I've heard a lot of mixed emotions on TKI. There's not that many options. How was it like this year? Like, I, I, I wasn't there for just a minute. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, you left right before everything. Uh, no, it was, it was yeah. fine, but, like, everyone had, like, insanely overpriced. Not their own, but they were, everything was, like, if that knife was $2,000 not at the show, it was $3,000 at the show. Well, the table price is also pretty expensive, so... Well, yeah, that's the thing. The table there is like fifteen hundred dollars, I think. Oh my god! Yeah. I think I think never, that this year will, will be the rebirth there. of that show. I, I think that now that they've moved and reorganized a little bit, yeah. uh, I believe that this year table will be price. Yeah, and it's an invite only yeah. thing. They don't like me already. I already know this. I'm too outspoken for whoever that in the crowd. hell it was. Yeah, that crowd. It's Steve, it's Steve Delac. He's a good dude. I mean, I've never talked to him. I did yeah. get an invite one time, and I I respectfully declined. Uh-huh. And, yeah, I've never heard back from him again. The thing is, that show is dangerous. Like, that'll make or break him as a maker. Rob, I really uh, I appreciate you coming on and talking with us, uh, sharing your stories. Yeah, I appreciate uh, you all having me, man. Yeah, Nick, Rob, it's been thanks, a blast, thanks man. Thanks for chiming in and, and, and catching us up on you guys' current projects. I think everyone's looking forward to them. We're making stuff. Uh, we're just making yeah. stuff. We're just yeah. making stuff, baby. That's all we do. We know what we're doing. Just doing That's stuff. It. We're just doing it. Hopefully stuff making will get those finished. those edges. Y'all should definitely uh, like, call me one day, and then I'll, I'll give you a bunch of short clips of redneck sayings. Well, yeah, as, as you always. You sell that yeah, online. Well, we, we have a whole list of shit. So yeah. You can yeah. add on to the list. I mean, it would, <laughs> it would be great to have you have you back on if you were interested. Uh, oh, it, definitely. It'd be, it'd be cool. Definitely, Absolutely. definitely. I uh, I have Wi-Fi at my shop that's definitely strong enough to get a uh, to get a, a voice call, call, a Skype call out. Awesome video. All right. Well, yeah. Let's let's make a point in doing that. Sounds good to me. I, w- I would be glad to do another podcast with y'all. That'd be fun. That'd be cool. Oh, yeah. Okay. So on that part, for a second time, uh, Nick Schubert of NCC Knives uh, out. You could find me at NCC Knives at Instagram and my website NCCKnives.com.
Elijah Isham of Isham Blade Works, uh, also known as Hamish Malays. Uh, you can find me on Isham Blade Works at uh, Instagrams. And this is Jeremiah Burbank signing off. Uh, you can find me on uh, my day job is PVK Vegas on Instagram, and my personal Instagram is PVK Jer. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And I'm Robert Carter. You can uh, find me on Instagram as Robert Carter Knives or on Facebook group as Robert Carter Knives. And uh, I appreciate you guys having me. I enjoyed it. And I'll catch y'all next time. Y'all are so full of shit.